I visited the town of Frederick, Maryland, uh, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., and met a lot of people who were suffering or had family members who had died from rare illnesses. And one thing they all had in common was a theory that the source of these rare illnesses was a local army base called Fort Detrick and some of the secret activities that have been going on there for decades. I lived on Elm Street, and on the side of the road that I lived on, just counting the six houses, everyone had cancer. So my daughter, at the age of 28 years old, was diagnosed with brain cancer. Then my second daughter gets sick and has tumors in her womb, and they said that this was not genetic but environmental. About a year after that, my wife then gets renal cell carcinoma and dies a year later after that. We have over 1,300 documented cancer victims right now, just in a one-mile radius. I'll be quite honest with you, it's changed my life so radically. Sometimes I don't even know who I am. 1,300 people in a one-mile radius. What's causing so much sickness? It turns out all these victims have one thing in common. They live next to a military base called Fort Detrick. In historic Frederick, Maryland, are the biological warfare laboratories. The volunteers have been positioned on the outside of the test sphere, in which a cloud of biological warfare agent can be generated. In 2009, Fort Detrick was added to the EPA's Superfund priority list, making Area B, located here, one of the most polluted places in the nation, just across the street from this crowded neighborhood. Who told you uh, that you couldn't drink? Nobody said you're not allowed to, but it's kind of just a general, like, known thing in my neighborhood that we don't drink the tap water. And why is that? Because we know there's chemicals there. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Hey, May 10th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Going to be a focused show today on a, a subject that we've been t- discussing and following from the very beginning of all of this, even before the COVID-19 illusion, and that's Fort Detrick. And the discussion, not in particular that we're going to get into today, but the overlap of bioweapons and that kind of research and what's been going on there as far back as you can look. Now, today I actually had and I, I had a design to kind of do a broad overview today. I'm going to talk about Tucker Carlson and, and the Texas shooter and all these different things, all this building information. And not that those things aren't necessarily important. There's plenty of different things that we could discuss, overlap it with plenty of things that would be important. And, you know, how Twitter's being used and the MAGA trap and all these things we've talked about. And and this topic stood out to me. And I'll, I actually do him in the chat. was uh, He tagged me in this that discussed a previous story we're going to go over again today. And it kind of just renewed my interest in this topic. And then I found more that overlapped it with other things around the discussion of the origin. Then I found more that overlapped it with the discussion of what we were just having that tied back to people like Bob Langer and Charles Lieber. And then we have information I'm going to get to over that that talks about the newest discussion of Xenobots. 
and this revolutionary technology of bots in your body for bio enhancement and biotechnology and therapeutics. And I'm going, well, damn, that's exactly what we're talking about. And, and sure enough, we're finding this extension of the information that starts all the way back before this 2011 and before and kind of peaks throughout right before COVID-19 and COVID-19 hits and revolutionary. We find this way to make this work. And it turns out to be Charles Lieber's research. And we're going to talk about all this today and how it ties in with both the injection and where I think it's really supposed to go and where it was going and, and how we can tie a string through all of this, but really focus today on how it all ties together. The potential work that was taking place at Fort Detrick and how that might tie back and does tie back with what we're talking about, both to Charles Lieber, but the origins of, I mean, the whole damn thing. And we're going to talk about the vaping illness that we've discussed before and how that overlaps with this and how you can, I mean, it's important to rehash this in a way with all that we now know, because we've talked, you guys remember, we talked about this and we were bringing that bell right in the beginning. The story actually hasn't changed all that much, but now with what we know, the addition of all the other information, even though you think you know the story and you do because you've watched these shows, if you haven't watched the show again and the work we did two years ago, I wager that you're going to hear this again, even though you know it, and it's going to blow your mind to see how ridiculous this is in the context of all that we know, and then overlapping that with the concept of the work that was done in these places, the discussion of origin in general, and even an interesting way discuss this in the overlap that, that arguably can fit in with anybody's theory. If we're talking about virus-sized transistors, nanotechnology, wouldn't that make sense? Like, you, look, you can remove the virus concept. Let's just say tiny transistors. I don't see how that would contradict a terrain theory concept. So let's think about how this might actually be something that was whether or not we want to even get into the concept of germ theory versus terrain theory. The idea that we can, at least based on the scientific research, there were and are smart dust level discussions. There are and were and are virus-sized transistor type of research that could act like something that could cause exactly what we're seeing. It's very interesting to think about. So let's go over this again. And as I said, I put off a lot of stuff today that, you know, I mean, I'm just hundreds of tabs, it seems, with all this different stuff. One of which, which I will actually get into probably tomorrow, I recorded a little segment with Derek Rose today in regard to the border. So I told you, I was going over all these different topics and it's in regard to, I think it's title 42. And we talked about the border because Derek is right there. I will play that tomorrow. I just, it just is disjointed from what we're going to talk about today. So I put it off till tomorrow and I did actually do an interview with him today on, with, uh, on the conscious resistance in regard to Charles Lieber. And I will show you that link today that you guys can watch because it overlaps exactly with what we're talking about. So let's get into this today. And I, I really, for those that are new or haven't seen this work, it's important to be very objective about this and realize that everything we're going to go through today, other than well, I'm going to, I, I will give you my opinions. I'll give you my theories. There's no reason we should shy away from that. As long as we're very clear, these are just theories and I'm just putting, you know, trying to connect dots. It's always responsible to do that. As long as you don't jump to conclusions and just start stating things you can't prove. They don't want you to think that, but it's, that's the only way you find new things in research is to ask questions. But my point is, Everything we're going to go over, other than my points around it, it, it's fact. Everything. The scientific research, the work they're doing, how it connects to what they're doing today. Every single thing we're going to go over, other than, again, what I might try to say, hey, this might make sense here or there. And I'll make that very clear, is verifiable scientific research and things that you can prove for yourself. And I say that because half of this stuff to people will seem like science fiction, as, as a lot of this stuff does. 
things like self-spreading vaccines or fake news, except there's 14 different peer-reviewed studies about it and they're talking about doing it next. But fake news, you know, that's how this works today. So let's start in today with this topic right out of the gate with this this actual uh, article from The Independent in regard to one of the most important moments that we don't really talk about. Now, sure, China points at it and says, hey, that's something which arguably should make you question that and say, well, what, you know, I, just like any government, by the way, you should not blindly trust what they you should question, whether they're telling you the information they want you to see and, and so on and so on. But what's interesting is because this is something China says, that's where you should look for COVID-19 origins. A lot of people in the partisan minded world will push back regardless of the evidence. Right now, ask yourself this. If we look into this and find out that this was something that ties to the beginning, are you going to dismiss the facts because China said to look there? I promise you a lot of people in the partisan Republican world will do that. And the same dumb point applies to the left when it comes to Russia, because that's how this childish, binary, mindless world works when you're lost in the two-party paradigm. Actually, I, I shouldn't be so d- diminished. <laughs> it's just I, I'm so tired of the two-party illusion and the, the ridiculous, subjective, willful ignorance that goes on constantly on twitter and everywhere else can you tell i'm a little bit overwhelmed and frustrated by it all now we all do it but we all know i'm just confronted constantly with people that are willing to blindly assume about other people or do you know it just gets overwhelming sometimes and that is exactly the point i think you know me well enough to know that all that you know maybe i'll take one day where i'm just fed up but i'll come back twice as strong the next but a lot of people don't a lot of people just fall into that and get into it, which is exactly what they want is for you to give up and and just go, you know what? I'm done. It's the same as everything else. I'm just going to check out, watch TV and let things continue. That's what they want from you. So let's start with 2019. This is from Fort Detrick research into deadly viruses and biological weapons at U S army lab shut down over fears. They could escape. Now realize this is not the first time this has happened in 2019. And, and just to point this out right out of the gate, in case you're interested, we've talked about, uh, where is it, right here? No, <laughs> of course, I'm not going to find it the first time. One of these, or not. I was almost certain I had that in there. Well, I have a, ah, well, I'll come back to it. I'll probably stumble across it like I always do. Uh, the tag for for uh, Fort Detrick in general. Oh, maybe that? No, it doesn't matter. I'll come back to it. That I, We've talked about Fort Detrick a lot on this on this platform long before COVID-19. So you'll remember that we talked about this in regard to one leak every three days for seven years straight. This is a real thing that was put forward by the CDC and Fort Detrick themselves. This is a lab that works with, as you can see here, anthrax, Ebola, smallpox, and coronaviruses. This is a BSL-3 or 4 lab. This is the highest level lab, right? So what we're talking about is a lab that works on the gain-of-function work, which you can prove was happening here and plenty of other places, even after they said they stopped doing that. That's all been broken down since COVID and people dove into these topics. But before this, it had happened a lot. This is even where the concept of anthrax and 9-11 and all of that, that this is the same location where that's where, where anthrax came from the soldier. And even then we realized, and I'm not going to get into this too deep because that is a huge conversation. Whitney and I've talked a lot about it. The person who was kind of the scapegoat, we can literally prove that he was not responsible. So we don't even really truly know other than what most people would likely assume. And you're probably not that far off. We don't really know what even happened then. So it's amazing that we can step into this and have all of these strings tying back to this location, which please believe me, I am not seeing this as a one-sided thing. 
If it happened at Fort Detrick, well, that involved work that was going on at Wuhan Institute of Virology, which included the Chinese government. So there's much more going on here. If we see this as a one-sided thing or left versus right or just China or just the U.S. or just one, you're missing a bigger picture here. That's my opinion, obviously, but I think ultimately it's the two-party paradigm, as always. I know I'm a broken record there, but I swear to God, that's the only thing that is stopping so many people from seeing the bigger picture that it stops us from really connecting the, the, the big picture, which if we can see the lockstep COVID-19 or the whole thing right into the Great Reset, it all ties together. Now, it doesn't mean they're all exactly in the same page when it comes to how they want to control your lives, but sure as hell, they all want to control your lives. It, this brings to mind very quickly a point of a recent article that Matt put out. That's just it's just like, which I just love, by the way, just has everybody spinning out of control. Oh, my God, I can't believe that's on, you know, assuming, by the way, that means that I just blindly believe the same things, which I don't know why anybody would assume that. Well, I do, because most media platforms today only sell you one concept. And my point is that I will happily publish people's work, even if I disagree with their conclusions, as long as I think that the facts are correct and that their conclusions are logical. I can die. I completely disagree with what they state. And, and, and I will still publish that. And that's what a good editor should do if you think that they still logically concluded it. I could be wrong. But in any case, the point is that we're talking about the idea of, of uh, now, of course, I was going to lose, lose the thread on what we were talking about, the idea of his work. Ah, dude, shoot, that was so important. I'm sorry. I just lost my thread of thought. The idea, well, ultimately the point, just, I'll just finish what I was saying in general, that I like that the, the work is challenging people's concepts, that we, that we push back on these things because, oh, I, and I, I remembered, I'm glad I did. The idea of China and Russia, for that matter, he's talking about the concept of, in this most recent article, that he sees the building fascist concepts coming from the West, and that he perceives the kind of coalition Belt Road Initiative concepts as like anti-fascist fighting that. Now, I'm not sure. I don't think I'd agree with that necessarily, but there's lots of source material and I think it's hard. you can see why he comes to that conclusion to some degree. My point that I want to make is that are we under the impression that anti-fascist means not tyrannical? Like, think about that. That's the point that I really want people to think about is that I see them all as just different flavors of governments that want to control your lives. So when you really read what he's saying and break it down, you could read that as good versus evil, but that's not what he actually says, does he? he he's, and, and you may, he maybe even does think that. That's, that's his prerogative. Those are his conclusions. But the facts are all clear, and you can see that there are very clearly different sides in how they perceive this. But what do we see happening in China? Wild technocratic oversight. That's the whole point, guys. And so I really do think that it's really just different flavors of the way they want to control your lives. And so when you see this big picture, of what we're about to get into and how it all ties together with, I mean, all of them really until we can see that at least as a possibility, I believe we're going to kind of short side ourselves. Anyway, back to the point. 2019 in research into deadly viruses and biological weapons at us army lab shut down over fears. They could escape. Right. So it's amazing that we don't even go, well, could that be <laughs> assuming we're talking about something that got out, right? That's interesting. So let's bring this to what doom put forward. A new, uh, uh, not, it wasn't, it's not a brand new article. This is from uh, May 5th, so five days old. It says, did a military lab spill anthrax into public waterways? <laughs> what? <laughs> that's kind of, a, you know, almost like as a side note. It's just so crazy how that's not, you don't see this on corporate media. They say, he says, well, I've been reading a lot about Fort Detrick since early 2020, and I have never heard them talk about this and to why they shut down 2019. The original excuse was about leaks, but nothing about thousands of gallons in water. I agree with that. 
Now, I'm not necessarily going to say I don't know everything about Fort Detrick, but I also have been really keeping an eye on this stuff. This is crazy. So let's get into it. And also what we're going to go overlap today is kind of the, the tied together between this Charles Lieber, the nanotechnology and where it's going in the future. So May 5th, did a military lab spill anthrax into public waterways? Now it says unsterilized laboratory wastewater from U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases at Fort Detrick, Maryland, spewed out the top of a rusty 50,000 gallon outdoor holding tank. The pressure catapulting it over the short concrete wall that was supposed to contain hazardous spills. Also interesting, by the way, in that clip we played in the beginning, which is a, a, a documentary, which I'll include the link of, that's about Fort Detrick and the area and how ridiculously obvious it is that they all know what's going on, but yet we're all conspiracy theorists, right? And they're all sick and everyone's got cancer, but we're all crazy. What does that remind you of? East Palestine, right? It's the same damn thing. It's the same concept, really, especially since we even found out that it's a super fun site right? in Fort Detrick. It's that polluted, one of the most polluted places in the country, but nothing to see here. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But so here we have Fort Detrick in 2019, where their broken down, dilapidated area, which is crazy to think about, which is what this is, while they're literally, as I said before, continually having leaks over many years. And now at the point where they're so bad that this just spills over the top. Now it says the pressure catapulting over the concrete wall. And this was May 25th, 2018. Now remember the timing. We're going to go through the dates and it's very important. May 25th, 2018. An estimated 2,000 to 3,000 gallons streamed into a grassy area a few feet away from an open storm drain that dumps into Carroll Creek. Like that just floored me. We are literally talking about the water that's used to, like, it's, it contains, oh, I'll get to it. In here, it'll list off these things that could potentially be in what was in there. Now, it's, it's a centerpiece of downtown Frederick, Maryland. That's the town that you just saw. A city of about 80,000 an hour's drive from the nation's capital. But as the waste sprayed for as long as three hours, records show, none of the plant's workers apparently even noticed the tank had burst a pipe. That's pretty par for what we've seen from this place. This was despite the fact that the facility being under the scrutiny of the federal government, federal lab regulators following catastrophic flooding and an escalating series of safety failures that had been playing out for more than a week. Now, this is on top of the fact that they had been under scrutiny because of what we just talked about. Like even going back to the 9-11 conversation, right? This is the same discussion. So this begins to look like something like I talk about in regard to uh, Neil Ferguson. The concept of, well, maybe this is a place that's meant to be like this, right? Maybe this is the, con this is the we'd rather look incompetent than criminal. And maybe this is just like we see happening in places like Georgia, not, not you know, the United States, but the country, where you've got these labs from the United States where seemingly everybody's sick all the time around there. And they go, what? We know what they're doing. They're doing this and experimenting. Nobody cares. Now, you could pretend they could, they do argue, oh, well, it's just, you know, this and, you know, putting out... The point being, they can pretend that they are being clumsy when reality like this, maybe it's more than we think. Maybe these people are being tested on. Again, that's my thought. And I don't know why you would just dismiss that out of hand when we know that's happened before. My point in saying that is so many people are so quick to just label something conspiracy theory and plug their ears and stomp their feet like you're five years old. And, and think about all of the conspiracy theory that we have literally proven from the COVID-19 conversation, 
All of the things that were fake news, ridiculous, like you're about to go to jail if you say it again, are now proven by peer-reviewed science, and even they have been forced to admit it. And yet we still pretend like fake news, conspiracy theory, and people shout things down. That's just, I mean, that says something about who you are as a person, is what I think. The fact anybody that can do that, smugly dismiss somebody that you don't know based on one thing, that even sometimes things that you think they're saying, that is a person that needs, that is what you are as a person. That's not even about the information anymore. That is somebody who is showing you who they are, in my opinion. Whether that means that they're just subjective and not really that intelligent, or that they're just mean. That's kind of the point we get at today. But ultimately, it's saying the, this for three hours, spraying. This was despite the fact of it being under scrutiny. Safety failures have been playing out for more than a week. And long before, before the outdoor tank failed, there had already been breaches of other lab waste storage tanks inside the sterilization plant. So what that shows you is that they were aware. The point is this, when you, the more you dive into this, we're not going to go into it that deep in regard to the dilapidation. But my God, this place had been allowed. Like when you're dealing with Ebola, coronaviruses, anthrax, and you let it become like this, what does that show you? You either really don't care about the safety or there's something else going on. On May 17, 2018, in the wake of devastating storms, workers at Fort Detrick discovered that the plant's basement was filling with water that would reach four to five feet deep, some of its rainwater seeping in from outdoors. But a lot of fluid leaking from the basement's long deteriorating tanks, that sounds great, that held thousands of gallons of unsterilized lab water. So that's the problem. This is not just some small thing. Unsterilized lab water, which again, we'll get into in one moment, they list it off, is potentially contaminated with everything they deal with there. That's a big deal. That they leave them in deteriorating tanks in a basement that can just casually be flooded from outside liquid. That is absolutely crazy. Now it says lab workers were supposed to pre-treat potentially infectious liquids with bleach or other chemicals. Now, the point being is that it turns out that's not the case. Now it says despite the plant's importance to to protecting public health, or at least that's what they state, by May 2018, it had become a rusting, leaking, temperamental hulk. It was 65 years old, and was, they were talking about the entire plant. It was supposed to have been torn down already. Get that. So this is a location that was already designed, they already decided they were going to tear down. But then it turned out, oh, well, a replacement plant is going to cost $30 million dollars. And, and, and it says, and uh, oh, it's, hold on, let me read. I always do that. But a replacement plant completed at a cost to taxpayers of more than $30 million had suffered a catastrophic failure in 2016 and couldn't be repaired. What does that even mean? You built a plant that had a failure? It's a building that can't be repaired? You see what I'm saying? Like, th th there's anomalies in this that just don't make sense. And so, oh, so we're going to just keep using the rusting, leaking, temperamental hulk full of anthrax and by I mean, really? Maybe so it's easily explainable. Oh, yeah, we're incompetent. Sorry, we didn't put it out on purpose. So even though the sterilization plant was in significant disrepair, the Institute still used it. With a much smaller amount of waste coming from a U.S. Department of Agriculture lab that worked with weeds and plant diseases. Now, you realize that everybody involved was aware of this. From the NIH to the CDC, this was a big, this was being publicly discussed when this was happening since anthrax forward, for the most part. Not in the way that average Americans were really aware of, but there, you could find the articles, discussions. It says, on a typical day in 2018, state records show these facilities sent about 30,000 gallons of laboratory wastewater into the plant, which had five 50,000 gallon storage tanks in its basement. 
plus an additional nine interconnected 50,000 gallon storage tanks outside. Do the math on that. My God, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of gallons. Fort Detrick officials had been aware for some time that the tops of the aging basement storage tanks had multiple leaks caused over the years by chlorine gases accumulating on the surface of the wastewater. Yeah, just not just water, guys. According to a state investigation report of the incident and the Army garrison's response to questions, they had to make sure the tanks didn't ever fill up completely or else the potentially infectious water would spill out. So at this point, they were ended up going like filling about half capacity. So that was that was their fix. <laughs> so in, they were failing. Everything was breaking. These things were filling. And so they all, well, let's just stop filling them up all the way instead of fixing the problem. Except what happened was then they had something flood. Lab inspectors from the CDC had apparently failed to recognize the plant was in this disrepair. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe? Now, either they are not good at their job as inspectors or they really didn't even look. Maybe they're probably both. Or maybe a third option is that it was meant to be this way for, for some kind of a cover. But either way, this is the kind of wild incompetence. If you were dealing with things like Ebola and coronaviruses and anthrax, is this what you expect from your government? It says the CDC offered no explanation of how these problems were missed. That's ridiculous. I, my po- I, I argue they didn't miss anything. That's kind of hard to believe. Now, four days after the plant flooded, which is what happened. I'm just skipping the, the reading here. So it flooded. They have them half filled. Suddenly it floods, like we said before, because it can just leak in, apparently. Like they didn't think that through. CDC inspectors arrived at Fort Detrick and spent May 21st and 22nd in 2018 inspecting the facility. As the CDC inspectors left Fort Detrick, they allowed U.S. Amrid to resume their, re- their research. So get so they go. They recognize a problem with flooding and overfilling and, and, and contamination. And they go, okay, keep working while we figure it out. See my point? There's far too many of these to not go, what else was happening? What was so important that was going on that you, that you didn't care? Or, alternatively, that you wanted to keep happening? The long Memorial Day weekend was coming up, and the weather forecast showed more rain headed toward Fort Detrick. And it says things didn't go as planned. Somewhere along the way, on top of everything else, and an automatic shutoff feature designed to keep the outdoor tanks from overfilling was just deactivated. Womp womp. Fort Detrick officials later said in response to questions. Just, you know, just self-deactivated, apparently. It was an employee of the National Cancer Institute, which has a research building at Fort Detrick near the plant, who spotted water, wastewater, spewing from an outdoor water tank. Somebody from not from in the, the complex, but not in the actual uh, BSL4 lab is the only is somebody who saw it from somewhere else. Nobody else apparently noticed that there was there at the location. And this is over the, con, uh, the containment wall we were talking about earlier. And it's spraying into the grass in an open storm drain inlet that literally sends water into the creek. You're starting to realize why they don't drink their water or why they all get cancer. Things like this. This is one example. And just happens to be right before and leading into the vaping illness and the beginning of COVID-19 illusion. Now, this was Friday morning, May 25th, 2018, when this was happening. <laughs> Military Times reports, nobody checked on the tank until noon that day. So this guy from across the way in the morning goes, guys, your dangerous wastewater that's potentially contaminated with Ebola is spilling into the water and on the grass and into the river, potentially. They wait till noon. Right? 
There's no way that makes sense. And if this was an honest world and there was honest investigation, these people would be, I mean, something would happen, but nothing. The dispatch workers reported back that they didn't see any leaking fluid. So the spraying, spewing water that's all over the grass, they didn't see. I mean, here's an image of it right here. They checked the tanks again at 2 p.m. So for what, seven hours, six hours, this has been spraying. And they claim they still saw nothing. So nothing was done. To me, that sounds like the allowance of something that was probably designed. Now, again, that's just a, that's just a thought. I have nothing to back that up other than the obvious anomaly here that why, I mean, are you going to explain to me why this didn't get seen? So they walk to this tank and they go, oh, I don't see anything. And they walk back. Two hours later, they come out. This is what they just said. But another day had, so again, just to follow up, 12 o'clock, they finally look, see nothing. They check again at 2 p.m. They see nothing. Another entire day goes by before anyone even alerted local authorities. So they are spraying contaminated water for more than 24 hours and nobody even told anybody. Not even the, the, the National Institute of Cancer guy. So this per, so the article asks, what was in the wastewater? Nobody seemed to be looking very hard to find out. This is where it feels exactly like what we're seeing with East Palestine. They know, and so they don't want to look. They would not release copies of their testing reports. Right, because we care, right? We, we're, we're about safety, but we're not even going to tell you. We said, nothing to see here. There's nothing wrong. No, we, you can't see our tests. In the weeks before the tank started spewing wastewater, U.S. Amrit had been experimenting with 16 different organisms, all of which that wastewater is used. It says other organisms that were possibly in the wastewater were Ebola, Lassa fever, Junin virus, Marburg virus, Venezuelan uh, equine, it's, is that equine, equine encephalitis virus, Eastern equine encephalitis virus, Crimean Congo hemogenic, hemorrhagic fever virus, Nepal virus, whatever those ones say down there, Western. I mean, my God. All of that. U.S. Amherst and Fort Detrick officials didn't do any environmental tests until May 31st and June 1st. The point is, it had been raining all, I mean, they, they a, whole, a whole bunch happened between that time period. So even if they did do testing, it would have been completely diminished. But even then, they didn't even show anybody what they found, which tells me there was something there. CDC lab regulators said U.S. Amrit developed and conducted its own testing. Again, just like East Palestine. So the group responsible for letting it happen for th two, a day and a half, who didn't see it happening, who let this get bad, did their own testing. They developed and then conducted their own tests. Does that sound like that makes sense? Eventually, after months, months of requests, U.S. Amrit said its testing to determine whether pathogens had escaped involved five only five swabs collected from, quote, various locations. That's it. They had done additional validation testing inside the laboratories that showed lab drains contained sufficient disinfectant to kill anything poured down them. The implication was that there was no risk from the plant's unsterilized wastewater and that the heat treating process was nice, but not necessary. They're arguing that, okay, so we wait, we dump the water down here, but it's treated as it goes down there, which makes it not dangerous. Documents obtained under Freedom of Information Act revealed that these drain tests weren't performed under real-life conditions. 
Instead, the army acknowledged that they were done in empty labs where no work had been occurring and no animals were present. So that's either called an assumption that it was safe or a lie. Either way, they didn't know that. They said that, but they didn't know. Of perhaps greater concern, the drain tests were performed solely in response to the regulatory and public relations crisis from the lab leak in May 2018. It was the only time between January 2015 through at least March 2022 that U.S. Amherst had checked the adequacy, adequacy of the disinfectant in the drains. And you realize in that time period, three leaks every seven days, or it was one leak every three days for, or seven, now I'm forgetting, I'm mixing it up. One leak every seven days for three years straight. I think that's what it was. In any case, the point is a lot of leaks. Now, yes, some of these are, you know, something on the bottom of its own shoe and so on, but we're talking about potential. Like just because it wasn't something that caused a huge problem, so we know, so we're told, it could have been something way worse. So that's the point. It's just the idea that things were leaking from this location and they didn't test. They didn't find out. No, no one, I mean, it seems like willful ignorance or hiding something else. Okay, so this is all 2018, guys. 2019 is when this got shut down again. Another time, right? So that's where it begins to overlap with something I find very interesting. So the point is we know that there's an obvious issue here. Now, this happened towards the end of 2018. So begin, coming into 2019, the question is, first of all, was this something that already happened in regard to a, an illness issue with the wastewater and so on? Was there already something else that was, that was causing a problem? Certainly something to ask. But for me, it becomes more important to realize that where, whatever happened in 2018, in 2019, researchers were banned from working with anthrax, Ebola, and smallpox until procedures improved. So only then did they finally start acting like we care about how you guys are completely, the dilapidated area, the lack of procedure, the, 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 the constant leaks. But the point was that there was an issue. They've been ordered to stop all research into these viruses over fears that contaminated waste could leak from the facility. Just hear that again. That was a public statement. They shut down this entire location dealing with coronaviruses, dealing with everything we're talking about. And I'm going to show you the overlap to everything else we're talking about from Fort Detrick and elsewhere in regard to Charles Lieber's research and everything else we're talking about. So they shut it down for fears of contamination that could leak from the facility. And we don't ask whether that could literally be what we're talking about. Well, here, let me show you what else lines up with this. During this same time frame is when we saw something else happen. <clears throat> now, this is, again, August 2019 is when this was reported. So here we are in July 11th, 2019. Respiratory outbreak being investigated at retirement community after 54 residents fall ill. Now, we talked about this right in the beginning. Well, it wasn't like we knew. We just said, well, that's interesting, right? Is that not possibly where, you know, this is at a point where people had barely even kind of gotten the narrative going, right? So we're, we were, the point being is, that, well, couldn't that be something where it started from? And, you know, the point at this point, right in the beginning, like I keep saying, is the U.S. government tends to do, and Trump happily stepped in, grabbed that world microphone and said, China, it came from China. We know China, China flew, blame China, they didn't let us know. Again, despite the fact that that's completely unbear, the fact that we know that there was people on the ground that was inve they were investigating that was from the U.S. government, so they were very aware of all the information that was coming. It was it's a narrative, and, we, and we're going to get into the Moderna part 
where if they if you thought China was lying about something, why then then did you blindly use their sequence to make these injections? We'll get into that and how that overlaps with the entire topic today. But couldn't this be the same thing? No, of course not. Even if it was. So that's very suspicious. Well, two died, 18 were hospitalized. Now, what you're going to find is, is that this literally got called a cold. That's all they ended up saying. That was a cold outbreak. Well, by the way, the cold is a coronavirus. So there's maybe something to that. Regardless, it's kind of ridiculous that we have a leak in Fort Detrick. And in, in within less than a month, or um, in, you see the time frame, month, two months in, we start to see this continue to spread around the area or just something if this is connected. But nobody ever tries to explain this. Now, simultaneously, or very, very close, August 2019, and even before, I believe, is the date where this uh, will come, we'll keep going. But so in the same time frame, we see also something discussed as a vaping illness. Maryland Department of Health investigating cases of severe lung illness in people using e-cigarettes. Now, right here, is this not just almost kind of ridiculously obvious? Respiratory problems, lung problems, Maryland, Fort Detrick, all right around this exact area. This is what we're talking about. This is the same lo exact location, like within the stone's throw for the most part. So they wanted to say it was vaping, but they didn't know. There was no connection other than they thought people said that they had been smoking vaping or smoking. Or they had been vaping. But I, I said this then there was a lot of people that didn't. And they just kind of ignored that. Well, maybe they had secondaries, whatever. They just kind of lumped it together. And also you realize that people who have, you know, vaping problems or some kind of respiratory through something like this. Well, it doesn't usually end up looking like fever, nausea, vomiting and diarrhea, does it? That sounds like some kind of an illness. And even then, remember that they labeled this under an illness. It was a, it was a spreading communicable disease. That's how they actually listed the vaping illness, which says everything. How do you think that's supposed to be spreadable if it's a vaping illness? Right? But even, that was on the CDC website. So here is December 16, 2019. Lung illness and e-cigarette users. This is you know, continuing forward. Now it's seemingly spreading. Now, how does that make sense? The Maryland Department of Health has identified more than 50 individuals who in the last four months developed severe lung illness. Right? Now, think about this today. There's no shortage of vapors out there. Are we still hearing this? Is it still happening? It's certainly possible that this is a vaping illness and then it just got called COVID-19. That's what the alternative. That's certainly possible. Everything under the sun is now called COVID-19. But it's interesting that you don't see this same overlap with what we're going to get into, the ground glass opacity. Remember all that? So what actually happened here and why did it just stop? There's actually a really interesting article we'll get to next. But it says respiratory symptoms reported by patients, respiratory symptoms, including shortness of breath, pain associated with breathing and cough. Other symptoms included fever, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. It's unlikely, not impossible, but very unlikely that what we're talking about would cause that and then be spreadable, communicable. To date, none of the cases in Maryland have been fatal, which seems to overlap with exactly what we were talking about before. All of this seems to. Nothing, something that's less than the flu. These cases are part of over 2,400 reported incidents of vaping-related illness, or that's what they called it, despite the fact that you can prove that many of them, when I remembered it, it was not, it was something like, I don't want to quote off the top of my head, it's been a long time, but there was a huge portion of that that were people that had never vaped before, and they just didn't care about that. But it's saying that it was resulted in 50 deaths 
2,400 illnesses and 50 deaths. Does that sound like a vaping problem? Certainly possible. Well, let's keep going forward. August 2020. So right now we're into the beginning of all the, the COVID-19 illusion discussion. Pulmonary injury resulting from vaping. Images, appearances, presentation, and follow-up. Well, it says manifesting as multifocal ground glass opacity. Now, right out of the gate, let's be clear that this is something that was early on pointed at, raised up in the, in the conversation of COVID. But it's, it, I made clear then it's, it's something that can be seen in a lot of different things, right? It's, it's an overlap you can see in numerous problems. But what I found interesting is nobody said that until this became something that was a connective point, right? All, it was all about the, the ground glass opacity and the COVID-19, and the lungs and all of this. And then when people like us and the independent media said, wait a minute. That's what they were saying about the vaping. And then all of a sudden that just got dropped. Now, yeah, maybe it's because they realized that they were, the media was being ridiculous as always and hyping about a point. It wasn't actually logical because it can have other, maybe, or maybe not. Now here is Maryland vaping associated lung illness. Now, again, I think it's almost too ridiculous to think about exactly the same location and the timing of it within a month. You're seeing illness and having it build right up until this point. And you have the outbreak of the exact same problems in those nursing homes, too, by the way. This point here, it was also ground glass opacity and the same issues. How ridiculous. So you have in Maryland, right around the Fort Detrick area, the exact same point. Pulmonary infiltrate or infiltrate, I guess. Is that how you pronounce it? Infiltrate doesn't sound right, but including opacities on plain film, chest, radiograph and ground glass opacities for vaping. Or rather what they're calling vaping, but this is a reportable disease. Now, I think it's interesting that they call it disease or illness. The way that they frame this, as I keep saying, both the CDC and everywhere else, it's like they're talking about a spreadable disease. That's actually what they've categorized it under. But there's not it, this unless this is leading to some sort of, you know, like a, a, a reduced like, you, you know, immune system problem, which then makes you catch something else. That's not even the same thing. So there's no way we're talking about a vaping illness that is being spread amongst each other. That's not even what they argued. But yet when you look at the labeling and where it was put, it's obvious that that's what they were at least insinuating. But ground glass opacity. Same thing here. This is SARS-CoV. Well, then we're going to get into SARS-CoV-2. Patients with SARS-CoV-2, and this was in the beginning, are more likely to experience bilateral lung involvement with ground glass opacity. So right at this point, I'm going, wait a minute, that, oh, there's something to that. There's why, why, oh, at the very least, why wouldn't the honest person go, hold on a minute? Does that mean that this vaping illness was COVID-19? Or does that mean that COVID-19 is vaping illness? Like at the very least be like, wait a minute, there's an overlap here, but everybody shut it down. And don't forget that we have, uh, I think it was, who was it? Gottlieb? I'm forgetting the names all of a sudden. No, as Azar, he, he went to Trump. And wanted to talk about what he saw with the COVID-19 discussion and said Trump said all I want to talk about is vaping. Don't forget that. Now, I don't know if that means that Trump is just being distracted by the narrative or there was something to this. But either way, the overlap is impossible to miss. Now, here is The Lancet from April 2020. Radiological findings from 81 patients with COVID-19, February 2024. And what do you think they found? 81 different patients. In China, the predominant pattern of abnormality observed was ground glass opacification. 
Okay, well, now it's beginning to seem like something that's not just some passing association, but rather an exact ubiquitous problem. Okay, so then why would it get put down? Which is what happened. COVID-19 pneumonia manifests with ground glass opacities. This is the Lancet. So again, the Lancet has been wildly wrong in a bunch of stuff in regard to COVID and so on, but that doesn't mean that this should be dismissed. Clearly, this in the beginning was either what they wanted you to think or what was happening. Why is that? Now here was something that we talked about back on 2021. AI, supercomputer, says that the vaping illness was COVID-19. Now that doesn't mean that it was. Obviously, we know that these things can be manipulated by you know, the people inputting the information and so on. But it's something to ask. It says April 10, 2020, AI suggests U.S. vaping illness case from last summer was actually COVID-19. A supercomputer called Tiane One proposed that the American E-Valley, which is that we'll come to that next in a minute. I think it's right here. The E-Cigarette or Vaping Product Use Association Lung Injury. They made an entire name for it. Where are we? Right here. So it says... An American E-Valley patient who developed pneumonia last year actually had COVID-19. It says, what if COVID-19 didn't first appear in Wuhan, China sometime last November? Now, remember, even that point alone is not debatable. Like, if you think that there's a thing called COVID-19 and you think it showed up in Wuhan, you can't ignore that I think seven or eight other countries, most of them U.S. allies, have openly put forward information that they found evidence of what they're calling COVID in their countries before it was found in China. I, it's just it's kind of mind-blowing that that doesn't get talked about, except when you realize that this is a controlled narrative, and that tells you something. But I, I forget all of them, but Italy, Spain, Taiwan, Canada, all of these locations have said we have evidence, some of them going back to 2018 and before. So that doesn't mean that it still didn't start in China or didn't mean whatever on the narrative. You know, the point is that we have to at least realize that this narrative of the time frame and Wuhan and what Trump said is not true. Even from what, if, if it's narrative or however you look at it, they're still telling you it's not true. It's just very strange how this goes forward. I mean, we should still question all of this. But it says, what if the coronavirus actually first popped up in North Carolina, USA? North Carolina University was where the material came from that was used in regard to Wuhan Institute of Virology. Three months before China got hit. Now, it's interesting, the overlap. It's not just around the four teacher concept. Like, clearly, this is something else. Now, again, remember the point we're going to get into for those that, you know, haven't seen us talk about this in regard to the Charles Lieber overlap. For those that are, you know, might just be ready to push back on anything and ignore all of this because you thought viruses don't exist. Maybe you're right. The point is that we're talking about something quite different here in the overall point. Virus sized transistors, potentially, and the nanotechnology angle to all of this. That's one of the biggest points. Right. So, again, I guess just jump to make this make sense for those wondering how this might vaping overlap might connect. The main point, we'll come back to it, is to say that it says when a man-made structure as small as virus or bacteria, for those that, you know, bacteria and the brain theory, as I understand that fits in the point, it can behave the way biological structures do. Okay, so if that's the case, and this is what he's discussing, and this was succeeded even using the same lipid nanoparticle idea in 2011, the point being is that we could literally be talking about nano-sized transistors. And that could be what we're talking about that could be acting like biology and getting people sick because that's how it's designed, like a bioweapon concept. So here, considering it in that light, that's what the supercomputer programmed to detect COVID-19, Tihani-1 proposed, that this was actually 
COVID-19, Nani Valley, or whatever we're calling that, after analyzing medical data taken from the U.S. patient. It's kind of interesting we would just so quickly dismiss this. Tiani Wan is housed in, at the National Supercomputer Center in China. The unidentified American patient who lived in North Carolina was treated by doctors for Ibali uh, the, on e-cigarettes and vaping-associated lung injury. Now, it says the other lung illness that the CDC obsessed over... What, this I feel like this is a... This wasn't here before. In any case, I can't see what that says the, right there, but it's just probably the, the, the illness that the CDC obsessed over before the coronavirus pandemic blew up. Like, that's interesting to think about. Because the CDC was making all these points about and talking about this right before this started. Now, the patient was just one of five in North Carolina who were also diagnosed with the Valley around the same time. All five are between ages 18 and 35, and all of them received treatment at the Wake Med Hospital in Raleigh, in, in CDC, according to the CDC. Okay, so now it becomes a little more interesting. They all got treatment at the same hospital, and every single one of them came down with the same thing? I mean, this is just impossible to argue this is some sort of vaping illness that they all just coincidentally had. The point is not even all of them vaped. It says, uh, well, I, I think, that, well, this one says oh, they said that they vaped. But as I remember it in this conversation, the point was there were some that didn't. And it was more of like a overlap that, well, you know, I have or something like that. But the point is, you can't keep arguing that somebody just happened to get this because of vaping and that it's happened at the same time. They had the same symptoms. Meanwhile, it's happening over there in Maryland and over there in California. There's no, this just does not make sense. Now, if you want to consider the possibility that there was some kind of tainted vaping oil or something like that, that's certainly a possible possibility, but it does not align with all of the facts. How did it spread? How is it getting labeled as such? I mean, you know, it's very clear to me that this is, at least if you think it's part of this, it's not the full picture. Now it says all five patients experienced the same symptoms, difficulty breathing, nausea, vomiting, and fever. All were hospitalized for hypoxemic respiratory failure. And all of this overlaps with exactly what we're talking about, what they tell us is COVID-19. Three ended up in the ICU due to life-threatening shortness of breath. Doctors had to put one of them on a ventilator. It all sounds so familiar. Now, it says that to truly determine if the USC Valley patient actually had COVID-19, well, you know what? The doctors have to screen for antibodies. Ah, yes. And you know where this goes next, probably. Well, that's something that's happened, hasn't it? Two times, in fact, we have peer-reviewed science. Let's start with the oldest one. From This is from 2020. It's weird. I don't know why it won't save. But anyway, that's interesting. I don't want to accept all your cookies. <laughs> it's whatever. It's still, it's still there. What's going on here? There you go. All right. So July 15th, 2020. So this is the interesting point about this. So the point made is that, well, you know, if they wanted to know for sure whether this was vaping or or COVID-19, well, they should check for antibodies. Well, this is the kind of point we're getting into. Now, again, I'm not actually saying this is a vaping problem. I think it's something else. I think it was something else or maybe the same issue overlapping all, but all being misrepresented as some COVID-19 discussion. The point being is that if it was there before, even a virus size transistor concept, if designed that way, would interact with the same body system. So yes, there would be some kind of reaction, some kind of antibody reaction. And guess what? If you haven't seen this, you might find this very interesting. In July 15, 2020, nature.com, one of the leading scientific publications on the planet, did an entire study about T-cell immunity. They had people that were 
from they had been sick with COVID-19, they said. They had people that had been recovered a long time ago from SARS. And then they had people in a control group. They were uninfected from either of them. So they thought. Or maybe so. Either way, the point is, every one of these uninfected controls had antibodies, or rather T-cell immunity. So the point is that the uninfected controls had the immunity they weren't supposed to have. Now, how did that happen? Because the study wasn't designed to do that. They just kind of stumbled into, oh, well, look at that. That's an interesting finding. They all had it. And then you have one in 2021. A majority, which is an important word here, and a majority of uninfected adults. So a majority of adults in this study group that's supposed to represent the United States, a majority had pre-existing antibody reactivity that had not been infected with what they said was COVID-19. So here's two different examples of a huge swath of this country already showing this kind of reactivity. And we don't care about that. Clearly, there's something else going on. I think we all know that by now. But so coming back to the point, well, yeah, well, there you go. If we're talking about what this is, it doesn't have to be the COVID-19 conversation, but this clearly, I think, overlaps with the idea that people were already having some kind of response. Now, I just want to point this out, that this is in regard to this actual this actual article when this came out and i just simply said this is exactly and this is me as you're all dunces at the time this is my first pirate account this is exactly what i've been saying from the start it was clear this wasn't vaping and don't forget these vaping clusters as they called them that was the point remember they said they the cdc called them clusters and had it on the website for viruses how does that make sense why would there be a cluster of this if it was something individually done as they called them, were just take were taking place in close proximity to Fort Detrick right after its admitted leak, just before the COVID-19 illusion began. This is him just saying, dude, you called this on day one. I'm surprised this popped up using his tweet because this account has been scrubbed from the internet on free speech platforms like Twitter. But here's where it gets especially interesting. The Lancet follows up. This is August 14, 2020, the E-Valley outbreak and vaping in the COVID-19 era. Well, it says in August 2019, which again, just think about the timing, right? August 2019. That is when Fort Detrick shut down for fear that something could leak. August 2019, the first case of the E-Valley e-cigarette vaping illness was reported to the CDC. Isn't that interesting? It's almost impossible not to make... I mean... It's not impossible. Clearly, everybody's ignoring it. But my God, the same exact month we saw this shutdown was the same month we saw the vaping illness begin. The number of cases peaked in September 2019. And as of February 18, 2020, 2,870 Valley cases have been reported with 68 deaths. Owing to the declining incidence of E-Valley cases and the emergence of COVID-19 pandemic, well, the CDC updates were stopped in February. Think about that. <laughs> My God, somebody asking if I'm auditioning for that guy's money? Come on, guys. What are you implying, man? This excellent research based on peer-reviewed science is somehow indicative of that? Come on. That's ridiculous. You should leave the chat for that. <laughs> That's my God. But anyway, for those in the podcast, it doesn't even matter. I'm not trying to bring people's names into this and cause more back and forth. But classic misinformers out there. But the point is... If the CDC stopped reporting on this in February, how does that even possibly make sense? So this problem peaked or started right when this began. The same day or rather month that they shut this down, it peaks in September. 
And as of February 18, 2020, think of the timing of this. We're just in the beginning of the COVID illusion and the CDC just moves on to COVID-19 or ignores this as the same thing. Now it says the exact causes of the outbreak, which are probably multifactorial, are likely to remain uncertain. That's where we are right now. So we just don't care. We're just going to pretend we assume it's vaping. Well, they do it all the time. They, uh, so I uh, see it was a joke, I guess. I'm sorry if I misrepresented that. I just kind of thought that was crazy in the chat. Anyway, the point, though, is they shut this down. And I mean, if you don't know what it was, we're just going to ignore a potential risk there that overlaps with the beginning of everything we're talking about. I mean, come on. There's obviously something going on there. And, you know, just for let's just overlap this an interesting point with, oh, look at that. Here's also Angela Merkel just Merkel just happens to visit Wuhan in 2019, right before this all begins. I'm sure there's nothing there. And then let's jump forward to March 14, 2023. University asked judge to block release of documents related to dangerous coronavirus research. Really? Well, the University of North Carolina. Again, the area where this outbreak was happening, also in Fort Detrick in Maryland, as well as the fact that this is both connected. Think how dumb that is, by the way, that the peak areas, North Carolina and Maryland, are both the areas that are connected to the, the COVID-19 conversation. And the idea is that North Carolina, Ralph Barrick, which we'll show you again in a minute, is involved with the material that was used in Fort De- or excuse me, <laughs> that too, but in Wuhan. So the University of North Carolina is asking the judge in 2023 to block the release of documents related to Ralph Barrick's work. A pioneer, they say, in the world of dangerous gain-of-function research. Right. Well, here is some of that work that you've seen we've covered. No joke, this man in North Carolina University quite literally worked on research of coronavirus-induced myocarditis. This just gets ridiculous, doesn't it? So, and yes, as well as the fact of using this to then try to spread in caves to bats, in literal self-spreading technology. I also talked about that. I should have actually included that, but I don't want to try to search for it right now. The point is, you can look this up. It was from the 80s and the 90s, and it was out using rabbits in regard to actual coronavirus-induced myocarditis. As we live through coronavirus, as they tell us, causing myocarditis all over the place. And also the injections using the spike protein that are the actual cause of all the myocarditis. But that sounds like exactly what they tried to make, doesn't it? Well, the bioweapon version. Well, so here he is going, I want to judge to block the information so you guys don't know what we worked on. It says, well, some documents have been turned over during the course of the coronavirus pandemic. The University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, filled a motion to dismiss late last week, seeking to prevent the release of some of the documents being sought. I mean, it's just just kind of ridiculous. Now, here is Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance. The other part of this large discussion. So you have North Carolina University with the material. You've got Peter Daszak and EcoHealth Alliance working with the NIH to conduct this research for Wuhan Institute of Virology. It's kind of the go-between between the government. Wildly suspect. And people have been calling this out from the beginning. I mean, as far as I feel, guys, proving that they were working on stuff that is overlapping with this conversation. And you might not be, you might be surprised to find out that they just renewed their contract. So Trump shut down this work, you know, and to be quite honest, the illusion of shutting it down just like before, because he makes a big statement about suspending the work in Wuhan, but allowed about five other labs in China also working with the NIH and the U.S. government to continue without question. 
it was a it was a, a it was a play, guys. Whether he didn't knew that or not, it's obvious. The work continued. They wanted you to think something happened. They wanted you to think Trump was fighting. That's not what happened. Now we come full circle, and he says exciting news: the NIH has reissued our NIAID news a grant, understanding the risk of bat coronavirus emergence. Right. So let's get right back to gain of function. Sounds fun. Three years and two days after it was terminated. The statement below links to the full project details. You can look at it for yourself. Now, as much as they want to try to pretend they're not doing the same thing, they are doing the same thing. The only way, and they'll tell you this, that they work with this to find out the risk is by trying to make it more dangerous and then pretending they're trying to stop it. It's, I mean, that's a very clumsy and short-sighted way to explain that. But the truth is that that's what they're talking about. You can call it EPPP research or gain of function. The idea is that they literally make these things more dangerous. You've seen this displayed. Rand Paul has been nailing it. I mean, it's very clear that they don't want you to know this. Now, here is science.org. This is from May 8th. NIH restarts bat virus grant suspended three years ago by Trump. It says revised award to Eagle Alliance will no longer involve studies of hybrid coronaviruses. Oh, good. So as long as they remove the one thing we think we're concerned about, but they keep doing the dangerous research, this is placating. They want, oh, but we're doing it the right way this time. It says three years ago, President Trump pressured the NIH to suspend research grant to the U.S. group studying back coronaviruses with parties in China. Right. And we're going to get into Libra as well. The same moment we're talking about Libra's research with China that stems back to the beginning of all of this. Now, but it says the new four-year grant is stripped down a stripped-down version of the original grant to Ecoth Alliance, the nonprofit research organization in New York City, providing five hundred and seventy-six thousand dollars a year. That 2014 award included funding for controversial experiments that mixed parts of different bat viruses related to severe acute respiratory syndrome (SARS). The coronavirus sparked a global outbreak, and no, not really, in fact, but they that they hyped and included a sub-award to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Why do you think exactly they would need to mix different parts of viruses? Is that somehow going to magically create a cure for things? I mean, really think about a dumb that, that, that that is about making dangerous things. They claim to understand it better. And maybe there's some truth to that. I don't buy that. But all, this is about dual purpose research. The new award omits those studies, talking about these ones up here, and also imposes extensive new accounting rules. Oh, good. So the people that allowed it the first time are making sure... But they do it again, which drew criticism from government auditors for its bookkeeping practices. But it says, but Egoth Alliance's in battle director, Peter Daszak, says his group is pleased. Now we have the ability to finally get back to work. That's what's happening. Now, here's just the other discussion, the, the, their own page talking about this. And guess what the first sentence says? Zoonotic coronaviruses represent a significant threat to global health. Do they? As far as I know, that's wildly disputed. And on top of that, he goes, as demonstrated by the emergence of SARS-CoV-2. Oh, so now we're just going forward, pretending like this was a zoonotic transfer and all the arguments that even you guys have changed, right? A pangolin, a rat dog, who, who knows at this point? But guess what we do know? That that's not true. It's been shown multiple times using peer-reviewed science that the ad doesn't add up. It did not come from the wet market, and it was likely not even zoonotic transfer if it even exists at all. But guess what? doesn't matter, though, because they're getting right back on track, right back to the same old stuff and telling you you're dumb for thinking otherwise. Well, get this, guys. It's not just Eagle Health Alliance. You might not be surprised to find out that Fort Detrick is right back in the mix for COVID-19 research. 
So the very same location that's not been fixed, that is still dilapidated, that is still probably leaking things right now, is also testing things on humans, on animals, and in general, on in regard to coronavirus. The Integrated Research Facility at Fort Detrick, the team there has extensive experience in testing potential medical countermeasures. Right, you know, like the DOD discussion, that's what we're talking about, for high-consequence viral pathogens. Leveraging this experience, right, their experience of seemingly leaking things all over the place, being responsible for numerous different problems, that experience. Scientists at the, at the Fort Detrick area have developed and are using cell-based in vitro assays to animal model and animal models to test potential therapeutics for and vaccines against COVID-19. So they are literally testing these things that are dangerous including the injections, by the way, but it gets worse than that. The unique medical imaging capabilities of Fort Detrick are also being used to understand pathological consequences of SARS-CoV-2 in relevant animal models of disease. Great. So you know what that means? They're getting animals sick and they're studying them. For Following our examples of the, uh, the, I, the IRF Fredericks is the Fort Detrick group, that's what I just keep saying for Dietrich uh, contribution to solving the challenge of COVID-19 for the world and for the nation. Great. Don't you feel better? I'll sleep at night. How about all the families that are sick around the area? They probably don't. Small animal model development. Exposure by intranasal inoculation of SARS-CoV-2 results in mild to moderate disease in hamsters. Yeah, you heard that right. Including weight loss, measurable viral loads in the lungs and respiratory tract, and lung pathology similar to that observed in COVID-19 patients. So the reason I included that one is they're testing, they're getting animals sick and acting like that's not a problem. I don't know why we allow this at all. But on top of that, do you not realize the main the, the thing that stands out here? And a hamster is getting infected with the deadliest virus in the history of mankind, we're told. Very mild. A hamster. Well, the hamster has proven a very effective model for most SARS-CoV-2 variants identified to date. The Omicron variant causes very mild disease that is not clinically apparent in this model. Not clinically apparent. Are we even talking about something here? Now, on top of that, realize that isn't this a human virus? If it's really there at all, is it it's just that simple? You just jam it in a mouse and they get sick? Okay, well, if that's the case, or a hamster, if that's the case, then why are we talking about this needing to mutate, to change? Like, that's not how this is supposed to work, right? I mean, as far as I understand it, and again, I'm not the expert, but ultimately, this zoo not this idea that this is changing and infecting a new thing, there's something about this doesn't add up. But the main point for me is that this hamster is not even clinically apparent that it's sick. The, using the thing that they just spent months telling you was going to kill you all. And that's actually even the Omicron discussion. Don't forget the conversation of where Omicron just came into this the mix, the mix in Botswana for diplomats that Botswana government refuses to tell anybody who they are. And yet the entire media went to say it started in South Africa. They've even edited the Wikipedia page, which I proved to you last time. And you could prove that it started in Botswana. So what is Omicron and why is it different? I mean, it's, there's a lot into this conversation, but guess what it says here? Aerosol exposure of small animal models. Well, if it's aerosol exposure, well, they're making this into a weapon. That's what that is. They wait out. They, they'll say, they'll swear otherwise. It's a scientific technique. That's a weapon. You are using an aerosol exposure of something that gets them sick. What else would you call that? I sure hope it doesn't leak out of Fort Detrick. It's where we are. Testing of medical countermeasures, including vaccine candidates, antiviral drugs, and antibody therapeutics against SARS-CoV-2. So you know how you do that? You get things sick. 
And then you try these things. This is unbelievable to me. This is Fort Detrick we're talking about. And, you know, just the, the lungs and all the same stuff. Totally not the same thing as the vaping illness, though. Non-human primate model development. Evaluate disease progression and the efficacy of medical countermeasures. Again, you're getting monkeys sick. And just watching how they get sick. That sounds safe. Clinical human trials. The clinical studies support team at, the, at, the, at Fort Detrick is actively engaged in the design of and support for multiple clinical studies. Get this, the exploration of the risks of reinfection and immunologic responses to SARS-CoV-2. So in case you missed that, there are human beings being infected in Fort Detrick. Cool. Supporting international study on COVID-19 vaccine to assess immunogenicity, genicity, reactogenicity, and efficacy in Liberia, Guinea, and uh, Guinea, or is that Guinea or Guinea? And the Democratic Republic of the Congo to study COVID-19 vaccine, immunogenicity, and durability, as well as SARS-CoV-2 infections in people who receive an initial vaccine or booster vaccine regimen. Establishing the, a, of sequencing capabilities to monitor emerging of variants. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, and this was recent, updated April 10th, 2023. So what we're talking about is the location where this literally, potentially came from, and they're the ones involved with sequencing new variants. <laughs> My, it's, like, it's like getting Neil Ferguson and Imperial College of London involved to tell us how dangerous it is. I'm so glad Fort Dietrich is involved. I'm being facetious. Now, this is just unreal to me. Now, let's keep going in regard to the origin conversation and how this overlaps with all the same people, right? This is Peter Daszak. Forgot about these. I don't think I grabbed these videos. I forgot. <laughs> Peter Daszak talking about exactly this work. This is 2016. So think about this in the context of what they're currently doing, what they worked on with, with Ralph Barrick and Wuhan and all these different conversations. Other coronaviruses in bats, a whole host of them, some of them looked very similar to SARS. So we sequenced the spike protein, the protein that attaches to cells. Then we, well, I didn't do this work, but my colleagues in China did the work. You create pseudoparticles, you, look, you insert the spike proteins from those viruses, see if they bind to human cells. And each step of this, you move closer and closer to this virus could really become pathogenic in people. That's called gain-of-function research. Now, you may, you may logically ask, why would they want to do that? Because they actually think you're dumb enough to believe that they'll make things super dangerous. They will create things that don't exist anywhere else and then make a vaccine for it just in case that somehow gets out. Well, no, because that's not what they're... Yeah, but that's the risk. But they're because of somebody over in that cave might make the same thing. You mean the, the, the one in a bazillion chance that they just so happen to know what you're making, make the same thing and have the ability to? Like, that's ridiculous. Even people like Dr. Boyle, who is the author of the Biowarfare Act, they still use, who they now call conspiracy theorists, will say that. It's, these are weapons they're making. It, the logic around why that even makes sense is childish. But here we are. This is openly discussing it. But this is at a time when mostly people weren't paying attention. Now here is the GenBank breakdown of the synthetic construct, synthetic construct of what is mRNA-1273, right? So knowing that they were working on all of this, 
knowing that he was discussing exactly that work with coronaviruses, with all of this, the building of the, you know, the locations, the overlap with both Ralph Barrick, North Carolina University, and the location, the outbreak before it. The point is that we're potentially talking about something that was worked on. And when we talk about the synthetic part of this, this is where, for me, begins to potentially overlap with two things. The idea that this is something that's not natural, and not even in the sense that it was just the lab creation, but actual, like, technology. But on top of that, the idea that we pr- we've proven, and this may even be in the discussion of whether it's even there at all, that this is just a sequence on a computer screen that was sent from China. This, And we'll prove this right now, for those that haven't seen this. Now, you don't need to look any further. It tells you right there. This is a synthetic construct that is the basis for mRNA-1273. Source, synthetic construct. Now, interestingly enough, it also says, and this is why you've seen this kind of breakdown and a lot of people discussing about this, because it overlaps with previous discussions, previous work, previous illnesses, but it says SARS-CoV-2 vaccine sequence detected in patient plasma Day five after dose two. Now, somebody, I think it was Jicky Leaks, made the point. So that's, that is one shot, two weeks, another shot, five days. The point is that if you can still find that in their blood that long afterward, this is not something that quickly dissipates. And don't forget the mod discussion that we're not going to get into today. But this is not mRNA. That's a natural substance, messenger RNA. We're talking about modified or synthetic RNA that they're using, they've created genetically. That's very different. That provably has an effect on your DNA. We've just just an entire focus on this. That's why they all pretend it's mRNA because they claim it breaks down right away. We've proven that's not true. You'll find it in the organs of every, like uh, there's now been over 75 autopsies where you find mRNA in the organs of these dead people. This is synthetic. And just so if you want to see the other word they use for this, which is just the link they have right here, synthetic construct. Other names, artificial, artificial gene, artificial whatever that says, artificial sequence, synthetic, synthetic DNA. That's what we're talking about. Not real. Now here is, for those that will get into this next, have heard me talk about this over and over, who may, you know, rightly go, well, maybe he's wrong. We've shown you this many times. And this is where he admits openly at the World Economic Forum that this is the case, that they have never had something tangible. They've always ever only had a genetic sequence from China. In this, this golden era where, uh, you know, biology is going through its own digital transformation. We have more and more tools that digitize aspects of biology. So, uh, at Illumina, for example, we make the machines that do genomic sequencing. So you put in blood or saliva or plant material, and we'll tell you uh, the <coughs> DNA or the RNA in that sample. And there are a whole set of use cases uh, after you digitize you know, the, the data. And I'll give you a couple. Uh, one was during COVID. So we were called into China in the fall of 2020, late 2020, uh, sorry, 2019, to help them diagnose what was then a flu of unknown origin. And so we did the first sequence of the Or just a flu. Or that too. SARS-CoV-2 genome that was published on January 10th. And around the world, what happened was uh, a couple of companies, so Moderna in Cambridge and, and BioNTech in, in Germany, took that data and started working on their vaccine. Now, it's interesting. Okay, so right there, just so it's clear, that's Pfizer and Moderna. It's not just Moderna. Moderna is the easy one to prove because I have the breakdown of their, of their timeline. But both of these injections were based on a sequence that was nothing but a computer screen. That's it. 
And what he's talking about is taking that Chinese sequence that was released and and publishing it on GenBank, whatever, wherever it ended up. And he's saying from there, they started using it. In Germany, took that data and started working on their vaccine. Now, what's interesting is that Moderna, for example, has never had the live virus on their site. It was all a software problem. From I remember talking to Stefan, and he was saying, look, we're basing our entire vaccine program on that data you published. It better be good data, because that's it. That's all we're using. <laughs> and, uh, and you can get a sense that Moderna is one of, arguably you know, one of the most, uh, you know, uh, one of the more important companies in biology right now, and yet it's all a software problem for them. And so that's a use case of once you digitize biology, you can solve profound biological problems. Another it's a good example, thing you got it right. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, oh, did they? Right. I mean, how do we even know? Would we ever even? I mean, think about that. Like, so we see this destroying people's lives. So I think it's pretty obvious that they got it wrong or this was the design. But either way, I keep making this point, And I don't know why this, like for someone in these groups, they either must know this or maybe just don't want to see. If they never needed something physical, what are we actually talking about here? Why do we even talk about the concept of isolation or the fact that they need to, if it doesn't even matter, if all they, and then here's the kicker that if you guys haven't seen this, that they're talking about the sequence that came from China, right? I mean, and here's what it says right on this, the Moderna website, Chinese authorities shared genetic sequence of the novel coronavirus. That's what we're talking about. That's what we just showed you. That's what this is right there. That was just published on GenBank. By January 13th, they'd already finalized the sequence. And from there forward, that's all they've, that, that is mRNA-1273. That is the primary injection. Even their bivalent direction still includes that. That's the same thing. And those bivalent ones build on the same sequence. They've never had it in their sites. So the point is, China came out after this and admitted that they hadn't isolated it when they sent that out. And why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. That is the Chinese CDC speaking with MSNBC. Now, again, I make this point every time. People, you can argue that from there they went on to do so. I disagree with that. I don't think they've ever met Koch's postulates. The gold standard. Now, I'm not going to go into that entirely. I'm sure people disagree. I think there's obvious reasons you can make that case. It's very clear. It matters about isolation and purification, which don't seem to happen, and the replication I don't see demonstrated. Either way, the bottom line is why does it matter if they never needed it? And then China said, well, we didn't even isolate it. So where did this even come from? That's, I mean, really take a minute to wrap your mind around that. So then it hands off. They publish it. They all use it for both Pfizer and Moderna. And this is Operation Warp Speed. So the very person in charge, which you could argue he didn't know what was going on, certainly possible, but Trump's administration screaming, China didn't let us know, went forward for the basis of their entire program that Trump still hypes on the basis of a code from China, from the group that didn't let us know, they're lying to us, based on something that they didn't even isolate and hadn't even tried, apparently. Or maybe I can't say that, but hadn't isolated, according to their own information. That is the hugest topic that doesn't even, that rarely gets discussed, that kind of just destroys the entire conversation. It's probably why it doesn't get discussed. February 7th, they were already making shots. By February 24th, they had already shipped them. That has never changed. Now, here is Paul uh, Osterhus, (laughs) I pronounced his last name, who is simply, same point, this is that, that sequence we're talking about. Here's Fauci trying to make the. Now, this is current. This is from March 12, 2023. 
where Fauci is now trying to kind of, you know, it's a big step from going totally not lab origin to now going, well, it's possible that they went out and brought something back and then it leaked out, which would make it a natural. No, it doesn't. That's the most ridiculous, absurd kind of sidestep. If it came from the lab, that's a lab leak regardless of how you brought it into the lab from natural, like the idea that they're trying to argue that a lab leak only entails something that was created in the lab. That's just dumb. It's a way to try to hide the potential or get you mired in this conversation when it's none of it's real. That's possible too. But as Paul says, a lab leak is not natural. A virus with 19 nucleotide segment pattern. We'll get into this in a minute by Moderna and patent by Moderna in 2018 is not animal origin. That's just the general point and before even what Fauci says, that you could prove that these overlaps are there. The science is clear. It says the more Fauci at all cry accidental, the louder we cry Nuremberg. Now, here's Chief Nerd pointing out Fauci now says a lab leak could still be considered as coming from natural origins. Theory of a lab leak. Uh, I, I, you know, I've been wondering this. Do we have any idea how that would even work? Um, have you heard any accounts as to how that might have happened? Is there yeah. speculation well, there, in, in the yeah, scientific the, community as to how that happened? Yeah, the, 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 there's a good, that, that's a very good question, Jim. So one of the things that people maybe don't fully appreciate, that all of the intelligence agencies agree unanimously that this was not engineered. Namely, they didn't deliberately do this to make a bioweapon. Everybody agrees with that. No matter what your prior thoughts were, everybody agrees with that. Well, I mean, that's just fundamentally not true. Like, you know, this is what get, people get so frustrated about. The way that they're just so smugly dismissed. So anybody anywhere that actually thinks that is not, inc- they don't count. You're not anybody. You're not anyone. I mean, are you kidding me? There are an endless amount of some of the most credential people on the planet who are saying otherwise. How about Luke Montagnier? I, I believe he passed away, right? If I remember correctly. Either way, these are, these are, he's a Nobel laureate, or he was. So, so, so nobody thinks that? Like, so he is just lying or pretending those people don't count who have arguably more credentials than he does. So how do you make sense of that other than this guy's being dishonest, which I think we all know by now, right? Obviously, there's a conversation here. I mean, they've even discussed this and now in real, like there's been recent articles coming out where they're now, well, well maybe it was lovely. So it just seems so dumb that they're so quickly shutting these things down. It happens all the time in government where they laugh it off and say, that'll never happen. And then two days later, it happens. I just saw a tweet about that in regard to, I think it was Chuck Schumer going, this is the epitome of right wing conspiracy theory about like stove gas stoves being removed or whatever, which by the way, myself, I thought, well, that's probably not going to, and then let alone here. Sure enough, there's legislation going through to actually stop those from being in use. So the point is that there's obviously, and either that guy was so uninformed and un, in the, not in the know, which wouldn't surprise me, Schumer and the others are wildly uninformed or they knew and didn't care. The point is government lies to you as a matter of policy. And he, that's what he's doing right here. A lab leak could be, that someone was out in the wild, maybe looking for different types of viruses and bats, got infected, went into a lab, and was being studied in the lab. And wait, wait, got infected? So you're what you're saying is he got himself infected and then went back to a lab to study that? Like I think he just stumbled right there, right? Like so, either he got infected and then brought it back, but oops, wait a minute, that wouldn't be a lab leak because he's already infected. Oh well, well, I mean, then he studied it and and it got out. I mean, it just, it's just, I, I really think this guy's reeling. Maybe, maybe, I'm sure people disagree, but I think these people are very aware that we see through the BS right now. And you can, I mean, you have to have some thought about how that might come against you. 
that could be held accountable for your crimes. Then it came out of the lab. But if that's the definition of a lab leak, Jim, then that still is a natural occurrence. You brought it to the lab. You studied it. Therefore, it's no longer natural. When you study it, let's not pretend like let's just look at it under a microscope. We know what they do. They've been open about this. They do gain a fun. Oh, excuse me, Fauci, EPPP research. And they try to make it more dangerous because they say they can study it. How is that natural? The other possibility is someone takes a virus from the environment that doesn't actually spread very well in humans and manipulates it a bit. And accidentally it escapes or accidentally infects someone. And then you get an outbreak. Those are the possibilities when you're talking about lab leaks but are well, okay you know what's funny this guy he based on his language he literally just then said they're both lab leaks didn't he <laughs> what a jackass so basically he just included you know, he didn't clearly didn't mean that because he's trying to argue the other way but this is funny to me but either way if it comes out of the lab it's just, this is just semantics it's obviously a lab leak no matter how it got in even if it is natural it's still a leak from the lab so this is just trying to conflate the ideas and make you confused and the ultimate point is this has happened many times fort dietrich is just one example so why wouldn't we ask this and again it doesn't have to be something that you may not think is there we we are literally proving that they're working on the technological level of the exact same concept and how about the possibility that's all it ever was not saying i think that i'm just saying there's all sorts of things we could talk about that we've been hyped and lied to and now we're watching things be released you know, just I'm throwing these things out because there's a lot of people that are who basically omit anything that doesn't add up with what they think is happening. And that and that's a recipe for ignorance. Are there any accounts of that occurring where one might say, OK, well, there there we go. Perhaps this is it. This is what happened. Yeah. Or Dietrich. No, we won't talk about that. No, that you're aware. Of. In fact, th- there are no lab leaks that have led to pandemics. So, I mean, this is you see, this is because that's the narrative, right? But we could point out all sorts of examples like this that have led to like we I mean, I, I could it's, it's very subjective, but we could talk about overlapping information about a lot of different historical events that seem to tie from. Oh, I mean, Dr. Boyle, for example, openly makes the argument that every single Ebola leak or uh, outbreak in Africa can be tied back to a U.S. lab. You know, so the point is that Fauci just why would we trust anything these people have to say? That'd be my opinion. Well, there have been accidents in a lab that happens intermittently. We've had experiences with that in modern times recently, but there have never been a situation where a virus escaped from a lab that's a brand new virus that no one has ever seen before that led to a pandemic. That is- so that's what we're being told, though, right? Because the argument goes that these things are being created and that's how they're being put out into the world. Now, you could decide for yourself. What we're talking about today is just one example of those possibilities. Why would they tell us that if that was the case? I mean, that's just the point is you're asking the person that people are assu- are questioning. You, know, you think he's involved and then you go, hey, Fauci, is that true? <laughs> what do you think he's going to say? Right. Either he doesn't think it's true or it is true. And he would say no anyway. So it's, the point is it's no, it's no purpose in asking him. But we just talked about this not too long ago. Oh, actually, here, I'm jumping ahead. Hold on. Next, I want this is uh, uh, Jicky, one of the Jicky League's crew here, saying, "Oh, exciting! Some lab humans found a novel way of getting the Moderna vaccine sequence and uploading it to GenBank. It was 2021, and you can see the same points here being pointed out, detected in the do- in the, the plasma. And all this point that I was saying before, and so this person just asked clinical implications. And Jicky says, spike protein being made continually by host cells without an off switch. I don't know, maybe myocarditis, 
Addison's premature ovarian failure, hepatitis. Look at that. December 19, 2021, they nailed it. Because clearly they knew. Well, what if, okay, well, if you're continually making these, the spike protein, which we know is dangerous, well, there you go. Literally calling myocarditis in 2021 when we, there was an evidence to that, but clearly we've seen this explode, right? I just think that's really interesting. Now it says, in, in I, this person did a FOIA request on the subject. It says, well, there is a note, is note of the spike protein in some of the older documents. None of these documents contain information regarding the, how much of the protein is produced or for how long they're produced. Follows up with saying, well, they lied. If the mRNA can be sequenced after 28 days, it shows it doesn't degrade after 15 minutes. Lying on a FOIA is a criminal offense in some countries. But the ultimate point, though, is that we have gone on to act 100% prove this. And actually, I'll include this since we bring it up. This is just one of the many studies out there that, that prove this exact point. And this is peer-reviewed. The mRNA vaccines promote sustained synthesis of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. And this is very important for the next part we're going to get into here. But first, last point on the origin. You guys have seen this, but this is just one of those points that needs to be revisited. Now realize this is 2013, or excuse me, 2023. The study was from 2022 or 21, I believe. But the point is, I, I can't find this peer review anywhere. But I, I, what's interesting to me, is, and it still says here, usually there's big red writing right here that says this is not peer reviewed. The fact that it's been updated now to 2023 from April, even though it was posted a long time ago, makes me think that it has been. But I can't find it anywhere else. And the way that this whole scientific community and the way these publications are acting these days, who knows if it even is going to happen anymore with things they don't want. Either way, the uh, endonucleus fingerprint indicates a synthetic origin of SARS-CoV-2. Now, this is just absolutely destroying to the narrative. And these people are not people you should dismiss. These are experts. The main point. They found that SARS-CoV has the restriction site, fingerprint, that is typical for synthetic viruses. The synthetic fingerprint of SARS-CoV-2 is anomalous. It's an anomaly in wild stuff. They don't find it. And common in lab-assembled viruses. Now, that's not proof, but that's very clear evidence in the same direction of the fact that this is indicative of something made in a lab. It says the type of mutations that, that, that differentiate the restriction sites in SARS-CoV-2 are characteristic of engineering. And the, the concentration of these silent mutations in the restriction sites is extremely unlikely to have arisen by random evolution. Both the restriction site fingerprint and the pattern of mutations generating them are extremely unlikely in wild coronaviruses and nearly universal in synthetic viruses. That's important to me. Our findings strongly suggest a synthetic origin of SARS-CoV-2. Maybe so. Now realize, we don't have to be talking about something created in a lab as a virus. We could literally be talking about virus-sized transistors. If it's that clear from every angle, this seems, things like a, seems like a synthetic virus. The terminology I found very telling. We should ask that question. Now, let's get into the side of it about the overlap here. And some of this stuff I think is going to really kind of blow your mind because there's a few things that I've added today that I think are really interesting. The overlap with this tying back to Fort Dietrich, Charles Lieber, and the whole discussion, as well as the simple fact of the technology in 2011 that has been carried forward. The lipid nanoparticle and the way that they've done this. Now, the, one of the main points of this is this is about virus-sized transistors, but one of them, there's actually twofold that I see in the research going forward is bio- 
therapeutic bio, uh, like sensoring, the, the, the nano sensors, being able to relay your biological real time information outside of your body. That's one of these. That's one of the things they were trying to accomplish here and have come, uh, succeeded in. But also about being able to insert whatever this is into the cellular machinery of a human being and deliver a payload. That's also one of the things they're talking about. Now, of course, you could argue that means therapeutics and medical drugs to save everybody. Or why not something dangerous? Why not something to kill somebody? That's exactly how the military views this. That's why they're called dual, dual purpose. But let's first point out this information from 2011, for those that haven't seen it. Charles Lieber, who we've talked about extensively, was a person who was arrested in the beginning of all this, if you haven't seen it, for working with China. He's the leading scientist in the world, still is to this day, on nanotechnology. And he gets arrested in 2020, right in the beginning of all this, and kind of pushed out of the spotlight until basically just now. And not even then, it's only because people like us are pointing at it. And I'll show you the most recent research. He was caught with Chinese nationals who had biomaterial in their sock, blood, who are bringing it from Beth Israel Hospital to China. And yet all of it spins back to being two days, time served. And guess what? He's never stopped doing research with China. So you're telling me the U.S. government is criticizing and potentially considering treason because of the work with China they didn't tell him about? And that same moment he was working with China, they didn't care? Because that's what happened. I think we all know that's not the truth. There's no way that makes sense. Unless the research was that important to the military. Or they weren't really actually holding him accountable. But here's what it says back from 2011. Charles Lieber and his colleagues used nanowires to create a transistor so small it can be used to enter and probe cells without disrupting the intracellular machinery. So it's the size of a virus, guys. So I make this point all the time. When they hold up these, these you know, button-sized chips and go, breaking current level of our technology, they're lying to you. There has been smart dust since 2006 that is the size, uh, what, the tenth the size of a piece of paper. I might even play that clip in a minute. So Charles Lieber in 2011 created a virus-sized nanobot that could probe internally your cells. The nanoscale semiconductor switches could even be used to enable two-way communication with individual cells, as well as the fact that we've clearly demonstrated with even the current research outside your body. Nanoscale device can actually communicate with living organisms. Now it says, but when is team coded? Now so the point was they, they were failing. They kept hurting the cell. However, when they coded the hairpin nanowire with a fatty lipid layer, the device was easily pulled into the cell via membrane fusion, which is, by the way, a process that's related to cells engulfing viruses and bacteria. Right. The whole using a virus or bacteria as a vector of delivery is exactly what basically everything is involved with right now. This innovation is important, Lieber explains, because it indicates when a man-made structure like a virus sized transistor is that small as a virus or bacteria size, well, that it can behave the way biological structures do. So if this is, in fact, something that was released, got out from Fort Detrick or whatever else we're talking about, then we wouldn't even know. And why would they want to tell us, especially if that was the point? Such devices might one day provide hybrid biological digital computation or deep brain stimulation. So we're also talking about the same research that is the impetus for what Elon Musk is working on. Right? Parkinson's patients, interface for prosthetics, the same thing. And it's Charles Lieber's research that makes this possible. 
When scaled down, the difference between digital and living systems, just like what weirdly what Klaus Schwab keeps telling us, well, they blur. The, the blending of your biological, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that you have an opportunity to do things that sounds like science fiction. Things that people have only dreamed about. Now, this is what I said before. Yeah, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? These things sound like conspiracy theory or science fiction. But that's exactly his point. These things sound like they're crazy, but guess what? We're literally doing them in 2011. Now, we just went over this pretty deep on this last episode of the Daily Wrap-Up from the first, the Charles Lieber connection from nanotechnology to COVID-19 to technocracy. That's where this is going. So if you want to watch that, please break it down. I'm going over only some of it today and adding on some new things. But we did talk about this in this episode. Bob Langer, the coronavirus common denominator. This is the academic backing for Moderna. You know, the name Moderna, which literally comes from mod RNA with an E in it. That's the point. Their entire background is based on modified synthetic RNA, yet they lie to you. And and, and everybody who doesn't know any better thinks it's just mRNA. They're even putting out commercials about the, the new mRNA. But they're not even using mRNA. They're using modified synthetic RNA, which is very different and has very different. It doesn't break down the same way. And, 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 we, and that, we're seeing that. And it directly affects your DNA. Let's see if I can grab that since I keep bringing it up. Here we go. From Psy.org. Modified RNA has a direct effect on DNA. And what's interesting, by the way, why wouldn't that pop up? Oh, it is. I think that's it right here. Okay, good. What's interesting is this article in 2020 is making this argument. Well, yeah, modified RNA directly affects your DNA. But then they go on to say, but... That's not what is in these injections. He's saying, no, but this is mRNA, and that's not the same thing. But they're wrong. And we've proven this, and you can look at it for yourself. It's in the, we've talked about this quite a lot, the mod RNA lie. It's directly in their own documentation. In fact, oops, wasn't planning on bringing all these in, but it's <laughs> what happens on this show. Let's do this really quickly. Pfizer and BioTech conclude phase three study of COVID-19 vaccine candidate meeting all primary efficacy endpoints. Check this out. This is what somebody just showed me. Apparently, what they're talking about in here, this release contains four. You know, that's funny. That's good enough, right? This, you can see it. That's, this, is, this is from, I think, 2021. But this is the Pfizer documentation, and you can see it says mod RNA candidate BNT126B2. That's the one that they used. So it's very clear that that is a it's modified RNA. So isn't that interesting that they that Psy.org just is blindly taking what they were told? Yeah, a lot of people did, and they were lied to. This, let's not pretend like Psy.org just assumed that. Somebody said that. Somebody at least insinuated that no, it's not modified. It's because re- some people thought that. That's the whole, everything about this is a lie. So back to the point, the backing for Maduro, the academic backing, he's involved with not just the work of the injection, but before it. And that's what becomes very interesting to me, is what this was actually about. Now, I want to get into that, first of all, from 2015, and then lead this into some other points. But what's interesting about this, and there was the overlap, I think was right here. So we just talked about this work, which is involving Charles Lieber. His name is right here. Charles Lieber. The same point of his new research, which we're going to get into in a second, from 2023, about stitching flexible electronics into the brain. 
Same thing, in fact, injectable meshes for neural recordings, right? Well, same year. So 2015, here is Bob Langer with MIT work, a major step for implantable drug delivery device. Okay, so th again, remember, and we'll get to it in one more second. I think it's this one here. This is the academic co-founder of Moderna. So in 2015, the same year that Charles Lieber is working, and by the way, I'll, I'll play this clip that, that Whitney talks about in regard to the overlap that they were working on the same Chinese projects. They, they just so happened in the same year to be working on the same overlaps, even though this guy becomes the kind of you know drug delivery direction. Here's what it says. An implantable microchip-based device may soon replace the injections and pills now needed to treat chronic diseases. Now, they sure as hell tried this, by the way. People got really aggressive about pushing back on this, and so I think they just went the injection route, but maybe changed that. But either way, the point was, all the way back then, they were trying to rush past this and give you some kind of implantable. Now, when we bring that up today, you're called a conspiracy theorist. How is that? How does that make sense? Earlier this month, MIT spin out Microchips Biotech partnered with a pharmaceutical giant to commercialize its wirelessly controlled, implantable, microchip-based devices that store and release drugs inside the body over many years. That's crazy. And we're and so it's we're crazy for asking whether that's possible now, right? While its first partnership is for the treating is for treating chronic diseases, microchips biotech is the name of them, will will continue work on its flagship product. Get this, a birth control microchip backed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, that releases contraceptives and can be turned off and on wirelessly. I guess we'll just hope that wasn't delivered without our knowledge, you know, which, of course, we'll get into later in the show, which I bring up every time, which is important, that you ask these people, they'll tell you if they think it's best for you, they should do it without you knowing. That's probably possibly what we're dealing with here. But here it says, in 2011, Langer, and SEMA, the, one of the people they're working with, and researchers from Microchips, capital C-H-I-P-S, the company, conducted the Microchips' first human trials to treat osteoporosis, this time with wireless capabilities. In 2011, you know what research he's using? It's the same stuff, guys. And that's not my opinion. We're talking about the same kind of overlapping research that's allowing them to use inserts in the brain and the body using microchips to influence body and, and, and cellular reaction. This is nanotechnology. It says results indicated that the chips delivered doses comparable to injections and did so more consistent, consistently with no adverse side effects. After that, the Gates Foundation took an interest. It wasn't just a pie-in-the-sky idea anymore, says the Gates Foundation. The study, combined with ongoing efforts in contraceptive delivery microchips, led SEMA to believe the microchips could someday, essentially, be considered the first artificial glands that could regulate potent hormones inside the body. Well, ask, you, ask yourself this. How exactly could an artificial... They, say, they keep saying microchip, but that's, again, also kind of an archaic, clumsy term for what we're talking about. These things are nano size. So an artificial microchip that acts like a gland? Well, what are we talking about? Biological or rather whatever, technology that's the size of biology or the virus. So the point is it acts like biological structure. My point is it's the same thing. 
The overlap is clear. And at this point, I just want to show you this one. According to Lieber, same year, 2015, an idea of a flexible injectable electronics has evolved over several years and builds on tissue engineering work in his lab. Right. So he's, it's making it clear that this work is from his research. And again, here is the most current. Shout out to Miriam, beauty lady, for making this, putting this in front of me. Understanding clom- complex neuronal networks requires monitoring long-term neuronal activity in various regions of the brain. Significant progress has been made in multi-site implantations of well-designed probes, such as multi-site implantation of psi-based and polymer-based probes. Here we report a long, single, flexible probe that can be implanted by stitching into multiple regions of the mouse brain and subsequently transmit chronically stable neuronal signals from the multiple sites via a single low-mass interface. Talking about injectables. That's what we're talking about. Just like this. It is the size that can go through a syringe. Now in here, I want to point out that we've talked about this. This is all the way back in 2015. That it says Lieber even dreams of recording from multiple sites simultaneously, such as the retina and the visual cortex. You know what that means. So this is data. Now we're talking about the relaying of data, biological data. But if we're talking about the visual cortex and the retina and the fact that this, this, this is transparent so it won't interfere with the vision, we're talking about relaying what you're seeing. Whether that's in data that can be turned into, that's brain data that's showing them out remotely what you are seeing because of this implant. That's crazy to me. In 2023, it's the same research being used, continued, and executed right now. So not only do we have the same research, Coming from the same groups, the same re- the same work, the same nanotechnology that Bob Langer then kind of works in regard to building in Moderna, which then is used in the injections. So you can see this overlap. It's very clear that there's more going on here to me. But here is Whitney Webb in, a, in an interview we did yeah, right here. This was, oh, what was this one. Uh, in May 2020, as always, she's light years ahead of these conversations. Here's what she had to say. Yet again. Charles Lieber. And don't make fun of me for being wildly overweight because that was a long time ago. <laughs> Which I found very interesting you mentioned is interesting, interestingly tied to the person that you were just talking about. And this is something that right. maybe you can touch on for me and explain what those connections are. And I just, I'm just baffled how we continue to scratch and continue to find this really weird behind the scenes crossover, which I think paints the picture of like an entirely different narrative of what really happened and what we're being told today oh, yeah. is a cover up in a some certain way. So go, go ahead and tell me about that. I'll bring up that page just to so see you guys can remember who Libra sure. is for those that might not have seen. Just so, so you guys are, see how far this is in 2020 that we were putting this, the, connecting these dots, you know, and this is, we're not the only ones, by the way, there's plenty of other people out there that are pointing this stuff out, but I just think it's very interesting to see that. And yet, the corporate media will that will probably never talk about this. Here's the the guy we were talking about. So go ahead. Right. So I, I mentioned earlier how Robert Langer um, was, you know, tied into the MIT media lab that Epstein was funding, but didn't get any trouble. The guy that got in trouble was the other guy, Joy Ito, um, that had to like, you know, w- was asked to resign and all this stuff. But Langer didn't get any flack for that, right? Well, another guy that Langer collaborated with on several occasions is Charles Lieber. And they collaborated on some of these, you know, um, Chinese linked studies that Lieber is, you know, under fire for. 
right? Apparently because of his, you know, arrest by the Department of Justice, but nothing's happened to Langer. I think that's very interesting. Um, and um, I, uh, there's some links um, that I, that I sent over about how, um, you know, some of the studies, some of the things they researched together, uh, specifically these um, cyborg tissues and things like that, these, these nanotechnology things um, that are getting a big boost because of coronavirus, um, are, are now sort of, you know, um, reemerging um, and becoming prominent. Um, but Lieber was, you know, co-developed a lot of this stuff with Langer. And as I pointed out earlier, a lot of the co-developers of the techno technologies with Langer then go into business with Langer and they set up these companies, right, where they're on the boards and they have all this stake in it and they make all this money, like Langer did with Moderna, like he did with, um, you know, um, this uh, biotech company that's partnered with Tiva, among other ones. But um, Lieber and Langer don't have a company together, but they did co-create technology together. So I, I, I kind of am, am pushed to speculate that maybe a motivation for Lieber's uh, arrest, since we know that the Department of Justice is fabulously corrupt, right, <laughs> Um, and probably had an ulterior motive for arresting Lieber um, has to do with the fact that there was some disagreement about um, the money when it came to uh, the patents and how this technology would be used going forward. Because like I said, Lieber and, um, and Langer uh, co-researched a lot of things together. And one of the things they co-researched together um, involved a massive team of Chinese scientists connected to the Chinese government Right. Remember, Lieber is under fire for ties to, um, you know, a Wuhan university, not disclosing that and all of this stuff. But why hasn't anyone talked about Langer's ties? There's another Gates funded guy at Harvard who I'll be you know, talking about in a future report. So I don't want to name drop who was also timed to Epstein. And he has a spinoff biotech company. And all of those investors are from China. But there, that ha he, he hasn't been, in tr you know, in trouble gotten in trouble for that and he teaches at the same university Lieber was at and has all these conflicts of interest you could argue with you know China but only Lieber goes to prison right or not gets two days time served and never stopped his research right but the interesting part about that too is the, the there's an the Epstein overlap to this right with Harvard and then the realize the realization that we know that the Harvard lab was what is with the location that discovered Omicron in Botswana but the Botswana area was set up by the DOD just before that happened. Like there's so many parts to this that very clearly tie in some way, right? I mean, this is where you begin to realize that there's obviously something else going on here. I think it's very interesting. And I definitely think um, we're getting closer to figuring out what really happened, but yeah. it's still kind of hard to know. There, it's the same reason you see someone like Cadlick who will continually find his way in and out of public office and continually be, in my opinion, proven to have committed crimes and nothing happens. In fact, he continues to get promoted, right? So same kind of thing right. here. Lieber seems to be, it would appear to be the straw man in some way, like the guy that's taking the fall here while he was working. Now, I disagree with that, by the way. This was or I, this was me at the earliest point kind of be, coming into, you know, researching all of this. And I, the th my thought at the time was that this was maybe something that, you know, and maybe still, who knows, but I, I don't feel, I don't think that's the case personally. Right now with what we know, it seems more likely, especially because he wasn't held accountable, that this is a central part of what's going on. Or maybe it's more, maybe, maybe something's more going on behind the scenes. Maybe he was removed from the situation because, I mean, think about this. I thought, oh, look at that. I'm already ahead of it. <laughs> I this the other day. You got people like Dr. Ishii from Japan that they took 
for, you know, the guy that was working on, you know, uh, the most disgusting human experimentation in regard to bio manipulation, bio, you know, war testing. This is the guy they took from Japan after World War II and put him to work, right? They took the Nazi scientists right. to work. So why would they arrest this guy working on the thing? He, this guy's like a leading scientist in nanotechnology and be like, oh, you're doing something bad with a bad group. We're going to arrest you. More likely, they're going to take him and say, now we're putting you to work for us in the same way, right? That Historically speaking, yeah. that's what this government does. But I just find it absolutely ridiculous that we can see this crossover between all the same people we're literally working on exactly what they're trying to drive in because of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And it ties back to the very person that's kind of the linchpin of this argument that there's some kind of Chinese effort to attack us with something or – I mean it just it, – it doesn't make sense. And then again, the idea about what they were actually working on, the idea of nanotechnology, like virus size kind of things where possibly what we're talking about is some kind of nanotechnology experiment right now. Like why wouldn't we consider something like that if they're – going back to this page, if they're literally working on the idea of stuff like this, putting things inside of viruses, could that not – and we know that nanotechnology is the idea of driving – something from the outside, right? Using this to create an action, create an agenda, create something, an outcome. So could mm-hmm. this not be something we're staring at now that this was an experiment that went awry or that was released or used, that this is really just something other than a virus? I mean, why can't we ask these questions today with everything we're staring at, you know? And I'm, I'm not asking you, I'm just saying, you know, out there, everybody, we should be willing to discuss these. But so based on this, before we jump on a couple more things before we left, maybe one thing before I let you go, what do you see from this? Right. Like what's it, what are you taking away from this tie in from Lieber to to Langer to all of them to, to the whole thing? Like, what do you. Right. Take- so um, with Lieber specifically, I think um, I'm starting to think the reason he was arrested is because of a disagreement about how these technologies would be like spun off and privatized and mm. how much of how much profit he would get and things like that. Um, I think it, it likely has to do with that, especially considering that like someone like Langer, when he co-develops these technologies and takes them to market, the person he co-developed them with uh, makes the company with him and he didn't do that with Lieber, but these technologies are still being implemented. Um, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Um, something I forgot to mention too, in terms of a lot of these technologies that, that Lieber and, and Langer have been researching is, is of interest to DARPA and has a lot of overlap with the DARPA stuff. And remember, um, as I mentioned earlier, Langer co-founded Moderna, um, which is a strategic ally of DARPA and was, you know, a lot of its initial funding came from DARPA, right? So it's definitely worth um, pointing that out. That there's a lot of confluence of all these different groups. Um, I guess you could argue up a specific faction or whatever if you want. Um, that are all sort of trying to, you know, use this crisis to their benefit to put, you know, all of these things they've been developing for years, um, whether it's, you know, the smart city angle and the technology angle or, you know, um, just privatized science and healthcare and all this stuff. I mean, it, it just looks like this is, um, you know, just being milked by this particular group of people, which is not really that big, but has a lot of influence and, you know, um, they're the ones that set to gain monetarily and also stand to gain just unprecedented control over human life in general um, because of everything that's going on right now. Yeah, I'll leave it there. Well said, Whitney, as always. Well, you know, and at the point that we were just kind of highlighting or I was highlighting beneath that right there is. Oh, actually, well, I just I, I don't think I have it up, but let me see. Where was that? Oh, well, well, the point was, you can see it on the screen here. I'll go back to this. That underneath yeah, that Charles well Lieber, I think that, and we have to see underneath that Charles Lieber page. You can you can see that they're that the, they're they're partners with 
NIH, DARPA. It's all military, right? Or it's military and, and obviously NIH. But the point is it's a military operation, what they're working on. And so with what she said and what we're overlapping, I think it's very clear that there's something bigger to this picture. Now, here is going to this 2020 discussion from Bob Langer on how science can tackle COVID-19, right? So you're going to see the continuation of this into the COVID-19 narrative and into the very things that are hurting people right now. I don't know why it's so taboo for people to ask whether or not that could be something that that we're dealing with here. Co-founder of Moderna, academic co-founder, seen as the front runner in the race to develop the vaccine against COVID-19. Moderna's recently secured at this time, and this was, uh, yeah, April 2020, $483 million in funding from U.S. Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, BARDA, to take their mRNA Again, mod RNA, they're lying about this everywhere, vaccine to phase two trials. It says in a special webinar, Langer will discuss COVID-19 research taking place in his lab and how advances in nanotechnology and healthcare could enable humanity to address the current crisis. It's simple. It's as obvious as it could possibly be. Now, here's something that I thought was important that will tie a lot of this together, including actually, in fact, it not only will tie the work of this, the overlapping work, of what Bob Langer and Lieber are working on, but it also just so happens to tie in with something that I think is really concerning in regard to an alternative use of these injections that we've already talked about in the past, actually more than once, the ferritin nanoparticle injection. If you don't remember that, it's the one discussed here from The Guardian in 2016, genetically engineered magnetoprotein, that's the ferritin protein, remotely controls brain. And behavior. Now, this is not hyperbole. This is not conspiracy theory. It's very real. They're talking about the ability to use this injection. It is an injection. It is a syringe to inject this into your body or the animal they're discussing. It's the same point. And control their brain and behavior. Now, it's just crazy how it can be on the Guardian. Now, you can look at the science and people will still go, conspiracy theory. This is how people are today. They just say, oh, that's, that's that fake story. It's like this is a real thing and it is very real and actually does control your movement if this is injected into your body. So this is 2021, December 16th. This is on army.military.mil. Preclinical studies support Army's pan-coronavirus vaccine development, meaning for all coronaviruses. Now, how long have we been telling you that even before all this, this is what they've been trying to do? It's what they began to try to step into with the bivalent and the multivalent and then blew up in their face because nobody did it. And it was obviously dramatically more dangerous than their very dangerous beginning. Net harm. <laughs> That's the bivalent conversation. It's not about the mandate. It is about the mandate, but it's about the injections being forced and how it will cause more harm by giving those injections than not giving them. It's very simple. That is obvious. And it's peer reviewed British Medical Journal pan coronavirus so in 2021 they were already sprinting in this direction because this is a military operation and this was already where they wanted to go the point is the people were clearly pushing back they didn't even expect that i don't know a series of recently published preclinical study results show that the spike ferritin nanoparticle we've and we've talked about this coronavirus of course excuse me spike ferritin nanoparticle covid19 vaccine Developed by researchers at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, or however you'd say that, rare, well, rare, the W-R-A-I-R, 
not only elicits a potent immune response, but also may provide broad protection against SARS-CoV-2 variants of concern, as well as other coronaviruses. Before we go forward, do you know where this location is? Fort Detrick. The Walter Reed Army Institute of Research is the largest biomedical research facility administered by the U.S. Department of Defense, urban area in Maryland, just north of Washington, D.C., it is a, well, I mean, it's location, it's the same general location, but the point is, it is a subordinate unit of the U.S. Army Medical Research and Development Command, headquartered at Fort Detrick, Maryland. So it's not that far away. It's right, it's, it's in Maryland. It's also just north of Washington, D.C., similar to Fort Detrick. But the point is, it's controlled by Fort Detrick. So now you have not only a connection to the very research, because that's what this is, the idea of inserting this into cells to deliver a payload, which is what this is talking about at its core, is the same research. Not only in the same locate, the same ultimate end goal, but the, the point being that it was designed and worked on in Fort Detrick, which ultimately became the impetus or the, one of the conversation points of where this might have come from in regard to COVID-19. And you have the same people working on the same injections, using the same impetus of the same research, it's kind of hard not to act, to think that, to see that there is something between all this and then just be completely freaked out by the fact that they're trying to insert a ferret nanoparticle aspect to this, which I'll prove to you in about 10 seconds is actually a remote control, like brain control concept. But it goes on to say scientists at WRAR's emerging infectious diseases branch developed the SPFN nanoparticle vaccine, the spike ferret nanoparticle injection based on ferritin platform. Literally the same, it's what you think it is, the mRNA platform concept, but a ferritin platform as part of a forward-thinking pan-SARS strategy that aims to address the current pandemic and acts as a first-line defense against variants of concern and similar viruses that could emerge in the future. How could they possibly know that? Our strategy has been to develop a pan-coronavirus. Now, let's to be clear, they didn't say is. They said our strategy has been to develop a pan-coronavirus vaccine technology that could potentially offer safe, effective, and durable protection against multiple coronavirus strains and species. You know why they say has? Because this has been work that has been going on before COVID-19. It's not hard to prove. We've actually talked about this already. So ask yourself why they were so focused on stopping future coronaviruses when that was, you know, and yes, there was a couple of discussion points coming from the very same people involved saying that would be the next problem. And that's very suspicious. But in a general sense, this was not a common topic. So we see them working on this stuff. We see them driving in this direction, working on pan coronaviruses one year into this from a ferret nanotechnology point from the military. And then this just gets quietly put away and we go in a very different direction. What does that tell you? SPFN entered phase one human trials in 2021. Now, I guess we can either assume that means that we pushed back and it stopped or it didn't stop. They developed a secondary candidate vaccine as well. Now, not only is this connected to Fort Detrick, but I want, I want us to realize what the ferritin aspect of this is. Now, the re- says researchers in the United States have developed a new method for controlling the brain circuits associated with complex animal behaviors. You are an animal, by the way, using genetic engineering to create a magnetized protein that activates specific groups of nerve cells from a distance. 
Now, again, this is the same kind of stuff, too. Don't forget what he keeps telling you in this or even other places than this, that it indicates when a man-made structure is as small as a virus or bacteria, well, it behaves the way biological structures do. So when we're talking about these kind of concepts and, you know, the idea being that this is a, 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 a synthetic concept. Right. But the point is that we're talking about animals being controlled remotely. In recent years, researchers have developed a number of methods that enable them to remotely control specified groups of neurons and to probe the workings of neuronal circuits. Right. We were just talking about the neuronal monitoring and the same point. This is the same stuff. The most powerful of these is a method called optogenetics, which we've talked about, which enables researchers to switch populations of related neurons on or off on a millisecond by millisecond timescale with pulses of laser light. Another recently developed method called chemogenetics uses engineered proteins that are activated by designer drugs that can be targeted to specific cell types. Optogenetics is invasive. Chemogenetics approaches overcomes uh, chemogenetics approaches overcome both of these limitations by, but typically induce biochemical reactions that take several seconds to activate nerve cells. Several earlier studies have shown that nerve cell proteins, which are activated by heat and mechanical pressure, can be genetically engineered so they become sensitive to radio waves and magnetic fields by attaching them to an iron storing protein called ferritin or, or to inorganic paramagnetic particles. Now, the point is, when they introduced this genetic construct to human embryonic kidney cells growing in Petri dishes, the cells synthesized the magnetoprotein and inserted it into their membrane. It becomes a part of you. Application of a magnetic field activated the engineered protein. A magnetic field. That seems interestingly relevant. Next, the researchers inserted the magneto DNA sequence into the genome of a virus. Okay, so either talking about the magneto or excuse me, the virus size transistor concept in the same discussion about inserting this into the cell or the concept of what we were just talking about with Whitney. The idea that that is also the idea of taking actual viruses and actually inserting things into them to use it. That's the same. It's other. It's a variation of the same kind of stuff. They then injected the virus into the brains of mice targeting the the interhenal cortex injected the virus in the brains of mice, which then enabled them to be able to control those brains. I mean, it's just like, it's, I'm not saying I know this is what's happening, but why can't, if this is a real thing that they really did, that is about injections, that's about virus vectors, that's about nanotechnology, why is it that we can't go, could that be what we're dealing with? Could they have lied to us? Conspiracy theory! It's just so stupid that we live in a world where obvious, obvious possibilities are shut down as you know, whatever we're not supposed to say, which as if that's not obviously something interesting that usually indicates there is something to it. Using microelectrodes, they then showed that applying a magnetic field to the brain slices activated magneto so the cells produce nervous impulses, which, you know, on a broad scale, we're talking about, and it goes in to say that basically. Live animals, they, they controlled how they moved. They, they placed the zebra larvae in the magnetized aquarium, and then they basically controlled their maneuvers, moved them around the area. In one final experiment, the researchers injected magneto into a free in mice. And then the, they, the mice expressed the, the, the bottom line is I'm just trying to get it. I don't want to read. I've read this to you many times. They controlled the way these mice acted. This is a real thing. And it says down here, this system is a single elegant virus that can be injected anywhere in the brain, which makes it technically easier and less likely for moving bells and whistles to break down. 
The problem with having a multi-component system is there's too much room for individual pieces to break down. So they made it simple. They used Charles Lieber's research. Magnogenetics is therefore an important addition to neuroscientist toolbox, which will undoubtedly be developed further. Certainly will. Now, again, the main point that to make about the larger topic is that they, if they decided that you were too dangerous or certain kinds of people, certain political views, certain actions that might hurt things to climate change related. Well, the point is that they've made this point many times that if they've decided that this should happen, well, they should do it secretly because you won't understand. Some theorists argue that moral bioenhancement, and that's all we're talking about, bioenhancement, that's a nanotechnology, you know, even just the injection side of this, it's the same thing. They say that they ought to be compulsory. Well, he takes it a step further, arguing that if it should be compulsory, then its administration, say via a syringe, ought to be covert rather than overt. This is to say that they see it as morally preferable for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without you knowing that, they're, that you're receiving it. Why? Well, that if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, well, then its administration is a matter of public health. And for that reason, should be governed by public health ethics. Think of that bastardization. So it's ethical to do this without you knowing because, well, we've decided it's best for everybody. Does that not sound overlapping with everything we're talking about today? He says, I argue this covert administration of compulsory moral bioenhancement program better conforms to ethics than does a overt compulsory one. Well, yeah, I wonder why, because nobody knows it's happening. And I, again, I actually disagree. I don't even think that it aligns with ethics at all. But their point is that they should do it without you knowing because that's the right thing to do. Or that's what they spit. This was 2019. Interestingly enough, the same year that this Fort Detrick lab shut down and it all started. Well, last couple points I want to get into here. When we're talking about the idea of the spike protein and all these different conversations and how it's seemingly its own little self-spreading concept that nobody wants to really engage with, I think it's interesting to consider that that in and of itself might be what we're talking about, right? So here, first of all, I, I just had to show this since this is where I got it from and make one quick point about people spreading things they don't check. But this, uh, Wittgenstein points, European study concludes COVID jabs cause long-term brain damage. That's not true. Here's the title from the peoplesvoice.tv. European study conclude. Not true. It's not at all what it says. I'll read it to you. And thank you, Jay Wilderness, who says, well, the study is right here. They're not basing their findings on post-injection, but on infection itself. Anything written by the Sean guy, which I completely agree with, or rather the entire website, I have to be honest, is usually designed to make us look stupid. And I just simply said, thank you for being sane, rational, objective, because I like Jay Williams did a great job. He's an outstanding work with great videos. And, you know, he chimes in and says, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, now whether Richenstein even checked didn't matter. I, it doesn't matter. The point is, there's too much of this happening today. Now, in no way does that mean anybody should be censored. You have a right to be wrong. You have a right to misinform. That's called free speech, especially when you don't know you're doing it. That's possible, too. Either way, we got to be careful. Just we got to be very careful. There's a lot of these new platforms that are pumping out lots of garbage. Right. I mean, look, I, I've, caught, I've talked about the died suddenly documentary. Well, that account on Twitter is constantly sharing things that I can prove to you are false. Whether they know that or not, doesn't really matter. I mean, it does, but not in the context of the point we're making. But here's the study itself, which is actually very relevant. And I would argue even leans. And this is what I talk about when I say lying for your truth in uh, that same direction that you could make this into that argument. You could say, well, the spike protein, it's also made in this injection. Well, that's what they're, that's what it means. But when you say the study concludes and make that your title, that's straight up false. 
because that's not what the study concluded. There's a point to that that makes that art that makes that suggest that point there for you to make, but their conclusion says nothing about that. So the point is, people on those accounts will look at me and say, "You're just you know." Can't you tell that's what it means? It's like, well, okay, I'm not debating that that's the finding that leads that. I'm, I'm taking issue with the fact that it says the study concluded that, which then people share not knowing that's actually not true. And then people that want it to be very accurate don't look at what you say and dismiss the study because you frame it that way. That's probably the point, guys. But let's get into what it really says. April 5th, 2023. SARS-CoV-2 spike protein accumulation in the skull uh uh, meninges brain axis potential implications for long-term neuro neurological complications. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, does not seem to suggest something like long COVID. Well, let me get into this and show you why I don't think this is the case and then show you why they kind of contorted it into the incorrect title that they gave it. Now it says the injection of the spike protein alone causes del cell, cell death in the brain. That's crazy, by the way, just right out of the gate. Cause we've talked about this a lot in the concept of the Salk Institute from 2021, saying very clearly the same thing. They've proven that the spike protein by itself can cause disease. That's a but that's very different, by the way. So that means that you can you have disease, you get sick, you have symptoms, and you can spread it. We're not talking about whatever we're pretending SARS-CoV-2 is here. This is just a protein from that, if that's actually what we're talking about. Okay, so Leaning into this conversation, hypothetically, we're talking about a protein by itself. So if that protein is spreadable and causes disease and then it can be spread again and caught again, well, we're talking about something very different than the original concept that this is a protein of. So what is it exactly? I mean, I've said this many times. I mean, look, what else is this other than a self-spreading concept? Now, not a vaccine. I argue this isn't vaccinating anybody. I argue this is Spreading something, though. This is a self-spreading concept. Am I wrong? I mean, that's exactly because we're going to get into a moment again is the idea that this is what the, the idea that this can shed and the, the full picture of all the, that Dr. Warren has said and the follow ups. And we'll go through the whole point before we get there. Coming back to the point here. New study. So the injection of the spike protein causes cell death in the brain highlighting a direct effect on brain tissue. Now, it says, furthermore, we observe the presence of spike protein in the skull of deceased long after their COVID-19 infection, suggesting the spike presence may contribute to long-term neurological symptoms. Now, you could, I'm sure you know where I'm going to go with this. There's no indication that they tested any of these people to see or asked if they were vaccinated. So at this point in 2023, when they're the ones telling us that most people have been vaccinated. Well, it's, a, it's an easy shot to realize that these people are most likely have injections in their body. At the very least, that means we should have considered that could have been why it's in their brain, right? Obviously. But of course, you know, you don't, that's conspiracy theory, except for the facts that prove that's possible, but you know, whatever. The bottom line though, is that this is, my opinion would be, let's put it that way, that all of the evidence suggests that this is coming from the injection side of this peer-reviewed science is what i'm talking about on top of that the covid19 discussion is less than the flu if it's even there at all and there's no evidence in my opinion that this is what it ultimately leads to other than associating it with people that have had injections and conflating those things in these studies 
Now, that's not what I'm, I'm not saying I've proven that, but everyone that I've seen that makes the argument about this overlap of COVID and causing, let's say, long COVID and so on, they never get it. They don't, there's no point at which they go, oh, but let's exclude people that are vaccinated or, or include that conversation. It's, it's frustrating. And then even on top of that, you can prove that they include people they call unvaccinated that just so happen to have vaccinations but haven't had 21 days. Like we've seen how this works. Now, going forward, it says even patients with mild cases of COVID-19 often often suffer long-term SARS-CoV-2 effects. Well, that doesn't make much sense when you could prove that multiple peer-reviewed studies or multiple peer-reviewed studies have shown that they find this to be a psychosomatic concept and the people that have actually had it don't have this effect. And then you can realize too that they likely have injections in their body and then it kind of conflates the whole, it makes it much more, it's not as simple as what they're saying. Several studies have investigated, and this isn't even the main point. We'll get to the main point at the end. Several studies have investigated the involvement of the central nervous system in COVID-19 related symptoms. And although SARS-CoV-2 was detected in the brain tissue in some samples and studies, other studies failed to detect the virus. Well, okay then. So we're PCR testing and finding it half the time. Well, what does that tell you? What the, what, what, and this, they say it again, it's even more clear. Ultimately, some of these people aren't testing positive, but yet still have this in their brain. Okay, well, this starts to make it very much more clear, doesn't it? That it's something else. You can't just pretend, to, you can't just disregard that people that don't test positive also have it in the brain and go, well, there must be an exclude. Well, no. That seems to suggest that it's something else putting it in the brain. But it says, even without detectable virus RNA in the brain, <laughs> signs of widespread immune activation could be detected. Well, there you go. Can we not see what that actually indicates? That if you don't find the RNA, specifically the virus RNA we're talking about, or specifically the spike protein and so on, that you but you still find immune activation? How would they explain that other than some kind of an injection that's being it's most likely designed on something that's not even what we're dealing with. It's causing an immune response, but it has nothing to do with what you're dealing with. The lack of evidence for the viral presence of especially viral replication in the brain led to the hypothesis that virus shed proteins circulating in the bloodstream may promote an inflammatory response independent of direct viral infection of the affected organs, including the brain. Well, that's an interesting statement. The viral presence especially viral replication in the brain, led to the hypothesis that virus shed proteins independent of direct viral infection. So are they not literally saying shedding spike proteins? Notably, this is important too, the highly emigenetic spike protein also used in the injections might be a candidate for triggering infection-independent effects. It's like they went out of their way and have to consider that that's what's causing it, right? But what's interesting is they talked about shedding and then talked about the injection having the same thing. And they say also used in these injections. So they're, ta- they're making it clear, which is the truth, that it is the same thing. That says the long persistence of the spike protein has been shown in the patient's immune cells and in the patient's blood plasma. Well, what does that tell you? Whether, look, whether we're talking about COVID-19 or the injection, it tells you that the, the Red Cross is out of its mind and completely corrupt for not making this a different point, to for differentiating blood from people that were sick, people that were vaccinated, and so on. They're not doing that. They've just, they told us before they're not doing that. and But you can see it right there. We already know this stuff, though. But here's yet another peer-reviewed study making it clear that the Red Cross is hurting people. Spike protein has been shown to cross mice's blood-brain barrier and enter the brain. 
Actually, I grabbed this anyway since I brought it up. I really hope people continue to call this group out. I think this is the most recent one. Well, one of them anyway. Where I just keep pointing. Here they are, September 2022. We do not label the, the blood vaxxed or unvaxxed because the vaccine does not enter the bloodstream. Well, it's not true. Here's one of the studies right there. SARS-CoV-2 spike mRNA vaccine sequences circulate blood for 28 days. So I guess the Red Cross just didn't see that peer-reviewed science that I posted back on January 2022 and have been retweeting every day for the last, you know, I mean, think about that. They know it's there, guys. They're running from it. That's what's crazy. And everyone's tagging them and everyone's pointing it out. I mean, this is how clear it is right now. This is why you are winning. Don't be swayed by the garbage on TV and the talks of, you know, and all the politics and the shootings and everything they're trying to scare you away from right now. This is clear. They lost. We see it. They're trying to hide it. Obviously, that's my opinion, but how do we not see this? Now, it goes on to say, investigated the distribution of spike protein in post-mortem samples from COVID-19 patients. We found an accumulation of spike protein in the skull marrow, marrow niches, recently discovered skull, uh, what is that, uh, meninges, meninges, meninges connection. I'm not sure what, let's look it up. This is meninges. Yeah, that's close enough. The three membranes that line the skull and, and vertebrae canal and enclose the brain and spinal cord. And the brain uh, parachyma, <laughs> I must pronounce all these, in, in both mouse and human samples. Surprisingly, we identified lingering spike protein in the skull samples of a subset of individuals who recovered from COVID-19 and died due to non-COVID-related causes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of willful ignorance, in my opinion, to, to not really engage with the full picture here. I think that was it. It was one point here. It says PFA fixed human brains and human skull blocks were obtained from donors and autopsies in case of a diagnosis of COVID-19 during a lifetime or positive SARS-CoV-2 PCR test post-mortem. So you see, my point is that these people are getting PCR tested. I can promise you they've got vaccines in their body and they're just, oh, well, COVID's sick because the PCR said. That's how this game has worked from the very beginning. So the point is the spike protein aspect and how that ties back in. So bringing it back to the idea of the Lieber's research, the nanotechnology, whether the spike protein in and of itself is something we're talking about, the origins of Fort Detrick and how Fort Detrick overlaps with the research of Bob Langer and how they've worked forward. And it all stems back to the same stuff. So bringing this forward. We can talk about, the, oh, and the last point I was going to say on this, that we've talked about the shedding of this, right? And here is the article from India today, but here's the actual tweet. mRNA technology pioneer, because that's what he is, says that COVID-19 vaccinated people can shed spike protein. Twitter censored him. Of course they did. And then embarrassingly brought it back because they realized how obvious it was to censor the guy that knows more about this topic than literally anybody else. Now, what he says, and this is important, is very clear. He says, Luigi Warren, well, this first tweeted that people vaccinated can shed it. That's important. Here, I'll just read it to you. I believe the shedding idea is that the vaccinated shed spike protein, not virus. Very interesting. But he goes on to say, it's certainly true that people vaccinated with mRNA vaccines do shed spike protein. But 
in minuscule amounts that almost certainly can't cause disease. Now, this is at a point when he was under the impression that it was not continually being synthesized, that it only made one spike protein, then it, then it quickly diminished. That's not true. So knowing this now, we know that it can shed. And if we know that it continually synthesizes and makes more and more and more of them, and we can prove as the research from him went forward that it does in fact shed from your sweat glands, that this is obviously still shedding and obviously still spreading and obviously still causing disease and obviously on and on and on. Okay, so is that not exactly what this sounds like? Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Now, for those on the podcast, the, the image is literally of a woman on a couch. And you can see the little spike, little spike protein, little, you know, COVID things going down her arm into the child into the pregnant woman next to her and into the child next to the pregnant woman with no individual informed consent. Hooray! Right. They're, they are talking about a self-spreading infectious vaccine. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture. We've talked about insect allies. I think that was 2016. I forget the exact time frame. That is about, and that's what that picture is right there. And that was the one that got scientists around the world to sign documents saying, we know this is a weapon. You need to stop. And guess who it was? U.S. AMRID, the same groups, doing the same things, working with the same research. Exactly. And are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. However, do we really want to intentionally disperse these modified viruses outside the lab? Nope. Is this a forward march of science nope. or a mistake? Mistake. Join our live oh, event. This is, and this is what Derek and I just went over as well. Like This is from 2020. Right. And this was huge. This was a gigantic Euroscience open forum. And I, my opinion is it was meant to make you think they were trying to consider these things. And meanwhile, that was already happening. Right. So the point is that they were already doing this. They're talking about viral solutions and the concept of releasing these into the environment. And that's what we're dealing with here. And this is a very real discussion about self-spreading vaccines. And yet you bring this up in certain circles and you're a crazy conspiracy theorist despite Johns Hopkins putting out a document talking about this during COVID-19, all of this. Now, I'll include the video. from This is Derek's uh, podcast we did today. About Charles Lieber, Nanotech, and the Future of Freedom. It was a good, it was a good conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys should check it out because we go over some of this stuff and we, we kind of come to some new synthesis and new points and stuff, and you should check it out for yourself. Now, to, to bring this to a final point about where we are now and about where this is going, you probably won't be surprised to find out that we're already there, like I've been saying, right? So what's crazy is we're over here talking about the future of, you know, the blending bio biology and digital identities and what Klaus Schwab is talking about. We're over here talking about Charles Lieber's research and the nanotechnology and the, the therapeutics, right? The biosensing. Well, that sounds like the distant future because we're all, we're talking about mRNA vaccines right now. Okay, well, I keep trying to tell people that that's not the truth. Just like I keep saying about, well, here, I, you know, my, what, let's play this since it's a kind of, it'll be a full, complete picture. And we will finish for the podcast with what I'm looking at. 
Xenobots. From science fiction to reality, Xenobots are apparently, right now, redefining biotechnology. Did you know about that? My point about this is always the same thing, that these things are being debated. It's already being used in the military for 10 years, right? So as we're debating about the next step, they're already being created, released, executed, and you bring it up, you get called a conspiracy theorist. Now, the point is to make this in regard to the, uh, let me see, where's that clip right here? Spark dust discussion, right? Where we talked about this, where they go, they act like it's crazy to think about. So if we're talking about the same stuff with virus-sized transistors and maybe something they wanted to get in people's bodies, well, why wouldn't they have done something like a geoengineering concept, right? Or using smart dust. Well, people, ah, it's fake news. It's not, though. And that's the crazy, many of you have seen this many times as well, but I think it's important to play this so people understand the, the level of technology we're actually at and where it was in 2006, which is what we're talking about in regard to the first Mew chip he's going to talk about. Way. And this is a nanotechnology smart dust symposium, and I believe it was uh, 2012, I think, or 2016. But the devices, the computing behind those interfaces aren't going to go away. They're going to just become invisible. We're still essentially the banging the rocks together stage for this sort of stuff. And you haven't really seen anything yet. So this is closer to the end of the vision. This is this powder-sized chip, um, and that's a salt crystal. So this is a small thing. It's something called the Mu chip from Hitachi. It's the smallest commercially available RFID system in the world. Now, just for, for scale here, that little thing at the bottom, that's 0.5 micron, right? So this looks like, what, 0.25 micron? I mean, do we realize how small that is? We're talking about like one micron in regard to, you know, we've gone over this stuff. That is, I mean, you can, the comparison's right there for you. That's a salt crystal. And that thing is absolutely tiny, flat, tiny, and that is a microchip. And can be pulse powered by radio waves. It doesn't require a battery. You can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. And you know what the really interesting thing about this technology is? This was commercially released 10 years ago. I believe this is actually 2015. 10 years ago, right? So the bottom line is that we are talking about a time long before this where we are talking about things that you can blow in the air like dust, and yet we're being told we've got these large microchips that are the cutting-edge technology. So the inevitability of smart dust. So what is smart dust? Well... Smart dust, of course, isn't a new concept. It's the originated with DARPA back in the 90s. Aha. And it's general purpose computing, sensors, wireless network, networking, all bundled up into millimeter scale sensor modes. So we have DARPA working on this, and then DARPA ends up working with Charles Lieber in regard to the, you know, the extension of the same thing in internal ways. Right? So these are outside your body. Now we're talking about the internal medicine, internal surveillance, just like Noah Harari tells you drifting in the air currents, flecks of computing power settling on your skin, ingested, monitoring you inside and out. And if you don't think that's possible, this is the Michigan Micromote. It's a cubic millimeter in size. And uh, in deference to the speaker before, yes, it runs an ARM processor. Um, it's a tiny computer, and it features data pro uh, processing, data storage, wireless comms, and it's probably as close to the true 
smart dust vision from the early DARPA days as we've come so far. They're designed to harvest energy from the environment around them and to communicate via mesh network. And of course, the energy is the key problem with this. Can make the computing small, the energy is hard. Anyone that's actually taken a laptop or their cell phone apart will know that the, the size of the board compared to the size of the batteries is a big deal. So think tiny solar cells for power. And although that's not the only route, there are a whole bunch of other passive energy generation techniques like vibration harvesting, for instance, have already been scaled down quite nicely. And the sort of minute amounts of energy they generate are actually quite well suited to the minute amount of power that this sort of thing needs. Um, and of course, at least for medical or, or bio use, the, the body heat is another obvious potential energy source after how much sunlight are you going to get inside an intracranial bleed. And more important, this is actually something that really excited me at the tail end of the year. This now that, I'll, I'll just leave it there. That's the most, you know, the bottom line is, that is a long time ago. We can only imagine what they can do today. Now, why would that not be something overlapping with what we're dealing with? And, you know, here, I just brought it up. I couldn't find the video off the top of my head real quick, but, you know, you've all know Harari. COVID-19 may bring new surveillance era. This is what he's literally talking about. People would look back 100 years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin, which I think may be the most important development of the 21st century is the ability to hack human beings. This is Listen, when they're telling you guys, this is what he's talking about. If we can't realize that that is the same exact thing we're talking about here, neural recordings, biological surveillance, virus-sized transistors, that's all of it, tying back to Lieber, tying, or rather tying back to Bob Langer with Moderna and the injections, all of this kind of stuff with the current research and overlapping that with the kind of injections that work for, for ferret and nanoparticles using the same research as well. It's, it's almost impossible not to see how there's something else going on here. Now, I'm not saying I have all the answers, hardly, but clearly we should be asking more questions. Now, this brings us back to the point of xenobots, and this is where it currently is. I mean, or at least so we think, probably way, way further ahead than that, since this is what we're being shown now. But not many people are even talking about this. So right now, when we're debating whether these things are what are going on in the injections, they're literally telling you, science fiction to reality. Xenobots are redefining biotechnology. And if you don't think this is the same technology, you're not paying attention. May 7th, 2023. Ever imagined a world where we could utilize the power of a living cell to carry out certain functions? Yeah, that's what Charles Lieber was talking about. There had been several controversies on whether the Xenobot should be part of our future or not. Xenobot is a robot-like being that is created from living cells. Unlike synthetic machine robots that we used to know, the Xenobot is actually made through some biotechnology procedure and with organic cells. So this is the extension. This is going one step further from using machines that are small enough to act like biology and just literally using biology and making it into a machine. If it, it is therefore known to be the first living programmable robot built with the active contribu contribution of artificial intelligence of biology. I hope you're not missing the overlap of what we're talking about here with the magneto nanoparticle brain controlling injection. And now here we are talking about programmable living things. The Xenobot is neither our usual traditional robot nor a plant or animal, but is a tiny microorganism that can be programmed and configured to carry out a certain task or perform a function.
generally the Xenobot is known to be one millimeter, one, I think that's millimeter micron. What is, I think it was MM was, I don't want to miss, miss a quote that. Let's see what that says. Let's say millimeter, but it's, uh, let me see. Let's do this. Micron. Oh, no, that's right. I forgot. Micron was the little U-shaped millimeter being the double M. Okay, good. So here we are. Back to this. One millimeter long or less. And is made from the stem cells of an African frog. Now, we're going to get into this really quickly. I think so. Yeah, I I have it in here. I I was going to go much deeper on this, but I decided not to just because it's going to get mired in the details. But so they're using living things. They're using a larva. I mean, so, I mean, this may be small and lost on many people, but isn't that still life? Don't we care that you're taking a living creature and just kind of using it for your purposes? These people clearly don't care, which forms the basis from which the name is derived because it's Xenopus levius or whatever. And that's the African frog, stem cells of the frog. Now, in this case, they're talking about stem cells, stem cells, but you can read in this, they actually use little larvae from these things in many cases, but it says... In doing this, they collect some stem cells from the embryo of a clawed African frog. The cells were then differentiated into skin cells and heart cells. The skin cells were to provide structure to the bio-robot, while the heart cells relax and contract to aid movement. The whole idea of this research was to manipulate and, and create living cells capable of carrying out a specific function and having a locomotive ability. Now, the locomotive ability is interesting that weirdly enough includes mRNA. Now it says to create the Xenobot, the super, a supercomputer was programmed with an evolutionary algorithm with the aim that it will produce different designs of cell configuration. Now it even gets into the idea where these things seemingly can be designed to reproduce. Cause that's not crazy at all. Creating living robots that can reproduce. Yeah, that can't get out of control, but it says, but what wasn't all, but, but that wasn't all the researcher had to replicate the virtual, the virtual procedure manually. And so skin cells and heart cells of frogs were obtained and were joined together using microsurgery tools and following the designs that were successfully virtual or successful virtually. With the use of tiny forceps and electrodes, researchers joined thousands of cells together one after another under a microscope. <laughs> okay, so little, this like little Frankensteins here. You're literally stitching together cells of other living creatures. Like just because this is micro scale doesn't make that just as creepy. This is Frankenstein kind of stuff. At first, Xenobot could only live for seven to 10 days, but with more advancements and research by scientists, it is now capable of healing itself and living for a long time. Who knows what that means? Well, that's pretty creepy. Now, we've talked a lot of in the past about a couple of these overlaps with the injections and work they're doing. I think it was the interleukin 10 conversation, like some of these things that overlap with aging. And I, I'm very convinced that part of this is trying to figure out how to extend their own lives. But it says they, the, in their original 2019 paper, which we'll look at, the scientists set out their hope that one day xenobots could be programmed to perform useful functions. According to the researchers, quote, advances in machine learning, soft body stim- simulation, and bioprinting, with the same stuff we were getting into, specifically soft body stimulation, machine learning, are likely to broaden the potential applications to which it may be put in the future. Applications could be numerous. Given the ease of expressing novel proteins and synthetic biology pathways and computational circuits in Xenopus cells. Expressing novel proteins. Is, I mean, 
Given their non-toxicity and self-limiting lifespan, they could serve as a novel vehicle for intelligent drug delivery or internal surgery. If equipped to express signaling circuits and proteins for enzymatic sensory receptor and mechanical deformation functions, they could seek out and digest toxic or waste products or identify molecules of interest in environments physically inaccessible to robots or assassinate people. You know, (laughs) the things they don't want to show you when they're the military's licking his child. Oh, I know how we can use that. That's always how this goes. Now, it's funny how people would do, oh, conspiracy. It's the reality is always like this. In half the time, the only reason this research even has money behind it is because the military wants to try to repurpose it for its own use. Now, going over to this uh, study itself, a scannable pipeline, or was this the one? Yeah, okay, just making sure it's the same study. Yeah, scalable, excuse me. That's why I got confused. A scalable pipeline for designing reconfigurable organisms. That sounds fantastic. This is from January 2020. Now ask yourself why that makes sense. Breaking news, March, May 7th, 2023. Oh, now we're getting told about it. Okay, well, seems that it came out in the beginning of COVID-19. That's kind of concerning, especially since what we're talking about is the potential for injectable nanotechnology. Well, let's just pretend that didn't happen. Living systems are more robust, diverse, complex, and supportive of human life than any technology yet created. However, our ability to create novel life forms is currently limited to varying existing organisms or biotechnology organoids in in vitro in the lab. Here we show a scalable pipeline for creating functional novel life forms. Artificial intelligence methods automatically design diverse candidate life forms in silico to perform some desired function and transferable designs are then created using a cell-based construction a toolkit, to realize living systems with the predicted behaviors. Although some steps in this pipeline still require manual manual intervention, complete automation in future would pave the way to design and deploying unique bespoke, excuse me, unique bespoke living systems for a wide range of functions. So if you're talking about a living system that's able to create itself, it's what it's talking about, how does that not get out of control or possible? Now, I forgot. I, wanted, I, I looked this up before. I always forget what, what does in silico mean again. I was just talking about this. It was the conducted or produced by means of a computer. That's right. So in vitro lab, in vivo, your body, in silico on the computer. So what they're saying is AI methods automatically design diverse candidate life forms in the computer to perform desired functions. Or rather, just, you know, technology. It's interesting. Now, anyway, the point <clears throat> is to get into, so 2020 was the real main point, but to get into what this actually says here, and there's a couple of really concerning things. And you can read through this for yourself. It's wild. But this one stood out to me. Under the concept of realizability generator, reconfigurable organisms were created using these embryos. Reconfigurable. That's just creepy to me. But coming down to the locomotive, locomotion part, really, is what it gets into. For contraction, basically, contractile movement experiments. So to make them contract, right? So to to make these things actually move, 
cohorts of these Xenoplus embryos were micro-injected with one of two synthetic mRNAs. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm not even quite sure how this... There's got, this is interesting. You're talking about the future. Rather, and this is 2020, mind you. In 2020, they're talking about using synthetic mRNAs in a study for like the like the 2023 version of the Xenobot future for bioimplantables and using the very same synthetic modified RNAs and injecting these nano Xenobots to make them move or contract. I just find it really hard not to see an overlap there with what we're injecting people's bodies. But it's saying, as at the four-cell stage using standard protocols, mRNA for the fluorescent lineage tracer TT tomato, which is a luminescent protein, and the the multi-cellated cell inhibitor notch ID10, ICD-20 or 35, was synthesized using e-message transcription kits. Now, I was going to go through all of this. I looked up Notch IDC. I looked up the M message. Now, I'm not going to go into it too deep today, but this is like its own version of like a PCR-style kit that's testing and being able to synthesize these things. Notch uh, ICD was this, this internal process. It gets very interesting into what these things might mean and why it overlaps with mRNA, but I don't want to bog it all down. Injections were formed in 3% solution using a pulled capillary to deliver 370 PG of mRNA for each transcript to all four cells. Very strange to me. In any case, that's 2020 study, but it's being applied today in xenobots that are arguably being, or potentially being put into your body that apparently have mRNA injections or can, or maybe that's just the study. I'm not sure. But I want to end with this in regard to the idea of where this goes. This is just a post talking about embracing hive minds and swarm intelligence, navigating the ethical and social implications of technological singularity. Like, this is where they're all sprinting. Hive mind, swarm intelligence. Like, if they're talking about that includes the nanotechnology aspect. There's no way around that. That'd be implantable sort of synergy meshing nanotechnology. Oh, meshing. Isn't that what we're talking about? Injectable meshes for neural recordings? And like, this is all connected. And my point though, as you can see here, this was the, which one? Oh, oh, that's right. We played this before. This was the video where they're talking about what that kind of world would look like. Let's include it. Why not? I really just want to show you that link, but let's include this really quickly. Because you and you guys have seen this. This is the video of what your workplace will look like in a world where this this kind of stuff is in you know rampant use. Here's the video. Video. Uh, it's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, and find love. And and live in a technocratic panopticon of terror. That too. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song. Sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure. Your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left 
and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached, causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has fallen over the office. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. You discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your coworker and the people he has been working with. While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, you remove your earbuds. The craziest part is that's actually the end of the video that they're presenting as the future. Like, I mean, it's amazing. So it's interesting is how is it possible that they think that's going to get people to go? Yes. Like it's all. And, and she actually goes on to say that that is the part they're trying not to scare you. I, how, what's the point there that we're supposed to be cheering on the idea of an invasive technocratic police state? I mean, think about how wild that is. And this is being presented at the World Economic Forum. It's probably much of salivating technocrats and tyranny loving, you know, dictators going, yes, I can do this to be like, think about how wild it is that this is the future they're presenting. What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? You may be surprised to learn that it's a future that has already arrived. And that's your point that you won't hear off the stage. But yes, because that's already here and they're just trying to convince you to step into it. Everything in that video that you just saw is based on technology that is already here today. Artificial intelligence has enabled advances in decoding brain activity in ways that we never before thought possible. After all, what you think, what you feel, it's all just data. Data that in large patterns can be decoded using artificial intelligence. We're not talking about implanted devices of the future. I'm talking about wearable devices that are like Fitbits for your brain. The newest way to monitor attention is through a device like this one. These are ear pods that are launching later this year. These ear pods, much like the video you watched earlier, are ear pods that can pick up brainwave activity and tell whether or not a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering. Okay, well you might think, fine, but even if we can tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering. You can't tell what they're paying attention to. You would be wrong. It turns out that you can not only tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, but you can discriminate between the kinds of things that they're paying attention to. Whether they're doing something like central tasks, like programming, peripheral tasks, like writing documentation, or unrelated tasks, 
like surfing social media or online browsing. When you combine brainwave activity together with other forms of software and surveillance technology, the power becomes quite precise. So what do we do with this? What do we do with technology that enables us to monitor brainwave activity for attention? Do we embrace it? Do we resist it? I believe that there is a pathway forward with such technology. We might soon even use the technology to help people wake back up. This is a haptic scarf that MIT Media Lab has developed, which uses brainwave technology in a responsive way to give a person a little buzz, <laughs> literally, when their mind starts to wander to help them refocus and hone their attention. I'm giving you the positive use cases because what I don't want the reaction to be is let's ban this. Those are the positive use cases, guys. A shock scarf to, to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to. I mean, it, it's just it's just kind of unreal that she can think that means like and and I mean, so show me the negative case then, right? What what's the what's the ideas that would make me want to ban it for crying out loud? Those would make me want to ban. I mean, it's just incredible, right? But but to finish off, like to make a couple more points to end here. Here's a new post from Reuters. This is as of May seventh. Israel stake, stakeholder, they think they're so clever, stakeholder foods has partnered with Singapore-based Umami Meats to make 3D-printed fish fillet. We've started to 3D-print fish products. An Israeli food tech company says it has 3D-printed the first-ever ready-to-cook fish fillet using animal cells cultivated and grown in a laboratory. Now, we know this is happening in this country with fake meat and Bill Gates and the whole thing, but this is happening all around the world. And certain places like Israel and the UK and the United States are definitely leading this. But we must realize that there's more going on to this. Now, this is not just about climate change, the Great Reset and the narratives around that. It's a huge part of it. I think there's much more happening here. These are just other vectors. We have to realize this is just one more way, and this is my opinion, that these things are being used or potential vectors for other things happening. In any case, the idea that Israel, the, the, I mean, the idea that they can almost taunt stake, stakeholder capitalism, the idea, the entire World Economic Forum concept is based on the stakeholders. And, and they call this the stake as an S-T-E-A-K, stakeholder foods. It's very clear what the insinuation is. Now, here is the actual page for it. If you want to look it at, look it up. Eat meat, be a stakeholder. We specialize in 3D printed meat. Delicious, nutritious, safe, and consistent. I guess we just have to trust them. Now, IBM puts a post out on April 20th, 2023. Moderna, Moderna and IBM, you know, a great history IBM has, to explore quantum computing and generative AI for mRNA science. Yeah, because it's not stopping. And it's already, they're sprinting in that same direction as people are still being hurt. Quantum computing and all these overlaps. I mean, even the discussion of, I mean, there's a lot of the overlaps. Even the quantum computing discussion even ties back to Charles Lieber with a company he created all the way back then. Developing the future of mRNA medicines. It's, it's all happening in real time and nobody seems to be in, in positions of authority. Whether they're aware of it and don't care or are just don't want to look. This stuff is, I mean, it's the same with the 5G technology. They have admitted that they have not properly tested this, but they don't care. We're watching this destroy people's lives, and they don't care. Now, is that because they want therapeutics and vaccines? Or is this just a stepping stone to something very, very nefarious, or rather just 
gigantic that has nothing to do with our safety or rather they could care less whether or not it's safe. I think these are all questions that you have a right to ask. And the evidence I think is undeniable. May 4th, 2023. AI could run a million microbial experiments per year, study says. They've talked about this many times. They talked about AI. We just showed you one the other day. They said AI could, could manufacture mRNA vaccines at rapid pace. All of this is happening without, like to the point to where they're, it's like the classic Jurassic Park quote, right? You were so, so focused on whether or not you could, you never stopped to ask if you should. And I think it's obvious that they probably don't even care. So I will leave you today with a video, a compilation that I put together that really does highlight that this is an overlapping point that ties back to the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, the bio-digital convergence, they call it, and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. It is all part of the same discussion. So thank you for being here today and keeping an open mind. Hopefully you can relay some of this information, take clips of the show, break it out, put it, you know, get it in front of people. Make sure people understand that this is not something to dismiss. There's plenty of questions in here, but like I said in the beginning, the questions and the theories, those are all mine. But the baseline, everything in this, you'll find the source material. And these aren't some fringe small blogs, not that you should dismiss that either, but these, this is peer-reviewed science. Harvard Institute, you know, outlining Lieber's work, overlapping with Bob Langer. It's undeniably clear. And I truly think there's something bigger happening here. And I just hope we can continue to ask and not get mired in our two-party politics as the elections and nonsense and more dangly cat toys pop up in front of us. And we lose sight of things like East Palestine and what's going on here and all the information that's building right in front of us. So thank you for being here. As always, I love you all. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Let's also be clear. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. Today... We have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. Yeah, I mean, everything is being digitalized. Everything is being monitored. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. Decarbonization of the economy. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. I mean, my top recommendation, honestly, would be just to have a carbon tax. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste because a crisis is an opportunity to also do re good reforms that in normal times people will never agree to. But in a crisis, you see we have no chance. So, 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 so let's do it. Surveillance. People could look back in 100 years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin, which I think is maybe the most important development of the 21st century, is this ability to hack human beings, to go under the skin, collect biometric data, analyze it, and understand people better than they understand themselves. This 
I believe, is maybe the most important event of the 21st century. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Natural selection is replaced by intelligent design. The era of inorganic life is now beginning. In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to create completely new life forms. We are about to enter a new era of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. Our intelligent design. Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. Are you vaccinated? If I yes. may ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very, very pro-vaccination. Yeah. Right? We've, uh, it's, the science is unequivocal. So the difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is, it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed, yeah. and of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. Can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains, and um, I can immediately feel, because you all will have implants, I can, and we measure your, your brain waves, and I can immediately tell you how the people react, or I can feel, uh, how the people react um, to your answers, uh, is it imaginable? Just think of sensors planted into our brains. Basically implanted in your skull, so... Uh, <laughs> but it would be so, uh, flush with your skull, so you basically uh, take out a chunk of skull, replace, put the neural link device in there, um, you would put the, the electrode, you'd insert the electrode threads, very carefully into the, the brain. To build basically an interface to the brain. Yeah. Electrode to neuron interface at a mic micro level. Okay, what is it? Like, I'm going to have like a plug in my head that's going to fit into a hard drive? Like, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. A chip and a bunch of tiny wires. This, this would be implanted surgically. And it would do what? Could you input? Could you download Jim? Mm hmm. Yes. What, 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 <laughs> the. Long-term aspiration for Neuralink was, would be to achieve a symbiosis with uh, artificial intelligence. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. One of the things that I think is so essential to free and open societies is freedom of thought. Um, and up until now, the conversation we've been having is around freedom of speech. Once we can access people's thoughts and access people's emotions, um, we have to create a space that enables people to think freely. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. 
this is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us.